This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. And, uh, of course, International Day of Happiness. This is the day that the entire globe can be happy. Everybody, smile. Oh, yeah. Work it. You got to be happy. Uh, Even Terry could be happy today. I'm always happy. Okay. I'll buy it. International Happy Day. The original idea came from the kingdom of Bhutan in the Himalayan region of Asia. There, the population is thought by many to be among the happiest in the world due to the holistic approach to life and the amount of importance which is placed upon well-being of the people and communities. And low taxes. And low taxes, and they, they, they don't care as much about material wealth. As long as you're happy. Jeffrey's shaking it. Got a little clappage going. Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor Day is also the uh, today we're celebrating Mr. Fred Rogers. I grew up. Fred raised me. Really? Yeah. I thought it was the Dukes of Hazard. That that took care of me at night. But Fred took care of me after school. His fish, so Mr. He, McFeely, which I thought was always a weird name. He was there for you during snack time, and the Dukes were there during spooning time. Yeah. Yeah, but I was young. I wasn't spooning or getting spooned. I was just, I was just, you know. I love Fred. The fish, the sweaters, the sneakers, and really a very, very good Christian, they say. Cool stuff. Isn't that amazing? One voice can bring back so many memories. A day today to remember Fred Rogers, that iconic children TV presenter, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, if you remember. His show reached its heyday in popularity back in the 70s and 80s, and repeats can still be seen today. Gentle, soft-spoken Mr. Rogers was a mainstay for preschoolers and their parents, teaching them that respect of those around you and good attitude were just as important as learning your colors and letters. Fred Rogers. (sighs) I wonder what he'd think about our world today. I'm sure he'd be. You know, he'd probably be stressed out of his head. The neighborhood isn't so friendly anymore. You know, I just heard today that Sesame Street is introducing a new character. I saw that. Did you see that? Yeah. Did you, did I you read say much it's like about Julie it? or Jane or something Julia. like that? Julia. She's okay. a puppet with autism. That's awesome. An autistic puppet. That's great. I mean, add more... You know, because we're becoming more and more aware of the world and what's going on around us. So that's that's great. Now, that is, of course, assuming Sesame Street has funding. They're fine. Oh, they're fine because they're with HBO. They're, well, no, they're one of the shows on PBS that makes their own money. They make enough oh. money that they can yeah. support themselves. Self-sustaining. See, once you go to a cable channel like HBO, you don't get canceled. That's no. why all the good shows are going to cable channels. That's right. Or, net, yeah, like Netflix. Because it doesn't matter if they don't have viewers. Yeah. But the because of their work, they attract money for other programs. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. they, they become the anchor program that yeah. then, you know, it's like Oprah. You used to have to pay a lot of money to get Oprah's show on your station. 
And most companies would lose money doing it because you couldn't pay for it, all of it. But it was an anchor show that would bring in, you know, viewers for the other shows. Yeah. That's the power that comes from having only one name. Yeah. We need to – yeah. The Matt Townsend show is like too many. We just need one name. Townsend. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's going to work. Hey, uh, today, a great uh, – of course, our great guest, Joe Cannon. He'll be talking politics with us. We can ask anything. And Joe, usually when it comes to Trump, his answer a lot of times is, I don't know, because nobody knows exactly what Trump's thinking. But what we're going to ask him maybe more of is, what about Congress? How are they doing with the health care bill? What's going to happen with Congress and Gorsuch? This is a big moment. Is, is Gorsuch actually going to get through? Are the Dems going to just roll over? I mean, is this the fight they want? Because there might, you know, there may be another one down the road. This may be, this may not be the fight they, they want to take on. I don't understand that line of thinking. Why, why would you sit back on this one, but then fight the next one? Well, because the reality is they may not want them to do the, the Republicans to do the nuclear option well, just okay. yet. There's that. And this is somebody that has spoken out against something that Donald Trump said. So. That's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah. I mean, kind of, yeah. But he's still, you know, the GOP nominee for the Supreme Court. It's going to create problems. I don't understand the line of thinking of, oh, well, because they didn't – because they wouldn't let us push through Obama's nominee, we're not even going to listen to this guy. Mm -hmm. But that's grade school, right? We've been doing that for years. Yeah. You don't play, then we take the ball. We're taking the ball. (laughs) You're not going to play by our rules. We take the ball away. Uh, We'll get to all that fun with Joe Cannon and politics. Also, McKenna Bouse will be in the house, uh, a little mind bender, trying to, you know, she's trying to make us think different ways. I don't know why. I mean, for heaven's sakes, how long has that have people tried to get us to think differently? Uh, But uh, first, let's get to Terry South and all the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the country? Big day for the Trump administration on Capitol Hill. House Intelligence Committee will interview FBI Director James Comey and NSA Director Mike Rogers about the Russian intrusion into the 2016 election and President Trump's accusation that former President Obama wiretapped Trump Tower. The confirmation hearing for Trump's Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch gets underway at 11 a.m. Eastern. Opening statements from senators on the committee and Gorsuch will be today. Questioning of the 10th Circuit or 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals judge will begin on Tuesday. Senators will also hear testimony from outside experts. Apparently wow. on the justice. Hopefully. An not, outside expert? Not just on some random topic in the middle. <laughs> like, let's talk about health care in the middle of the confirmation hearing. Yeah. President Trump may have just set the record for the highest disappro- disapproval rating by day 60 in office. Gallup's latest approval ratings poll released Sunday saw Trump's overall uh, approval rating sink to 37% and his disapproval rating rise to 58%. Ooh. Obama's disapproval rating by day 60 was 26. Bush was at 29. Trump is 58%. Wow. I mean, that's different than an, I mean, approval is one thing, but disapproval? Yeah. That's a big number. Just one week ago, Trump's approval rating was eight points higher. So in in a week, he lost eight approval points. He had a bad week. Well, was it the budget? What was it? I'm not sure. Prior to Trump, the president with the highest disapproval rating at the 60 day mark, at least dating back to 1977, was uh, President Bill Clinton, who had 34% disapproval at this point in his first term. 44%? 34. Oh, 34. Boy. Yeah. 
So, you know, Trump's, yeah. Trump's setting records. The health care bill that can satisfy both the House and the Senate, plus Republican conservatives and moderates alike. Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price on that miracle. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a fine needle that needs to be thread. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But you mentioned working with Democrats on that, on that third bucket, and we sure hope so. Uh, we've been reaching out to individuals in both the House and the Senate on the other side of the aisle and look forward to their ideas and hopefully their input and their support. This is what tough legislation looks like, so it's not unusual to have this give and take and this back and forth. He said, I'm confident that if we move forward, we will be able to move all portions of that plan, he said. A vote in the House is set for Thursday night. Sounded a little like Mitt Romney. Yeah. With a little bit more helium. (laughs) And and less hair. Beauty and the Beast. Disney's live action yeah, remake. Yeah, they're killing it. 170 million in North America, 350 worldwide. The domestic total exceeds what people in the industry had expected. Uh, broke the biggest box office opening in four March. The record was set last year by Batman v Superman. Um, let's see other live action remakes that Disney has in development. Yeah. Any guesses? Um. What other cartoons could they make Cruella, real? Cruella DeVille is one of them. I know that. With Emma Stone. Yeah, I don't know any of these. Didn't uh, make my list. Um, uh, Aladdin. Aladdin's on there? Oh, Aladdin's a great one. What about Hercules? Nope. My kid loves Herc. Mulan? Pinocchio? Didn't they already just do Mulan? No. With um, Matt Damon? <laughs> No, it's called The Wall. It was oh, The different. Wall. Okay. Yeah, yeah, thought that was different. Uh, Mulan, D- Pinocchio, Dumbo, and The Lion King. Really? Yeah. Since they did... How are they going to get an elephant to fly? Or hold CGI? a... CGI? Yeah. Yeah, but... You know, $170 million didn't get my money over the weekend. What got your money? Well, actually, I still saw it, but I saw it for free. So. Oh, got someone else's money. Yeah. Did you like it? I will say it was better than I thought it would be. Wow. Why would you think it wouldn't be great? Sounds like a ringing endorsement. Well, it wasn't getting fantastic reviews. And uh, I don't know. The whole time I was watching it, I kept thinking, wow, an 80-minute cartoon did such a better job of developing characters that I actually cared about. And so they did it in much less time. This movie was probably about 30 or 45 minutes too long. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, like any musical that uh, that is released theatrically, they're going to write some new songs just so that they can be nominated for Best Original Song. Because you can't just rehash. There's no Best Adapted Song category. <laughs> so they have to come up with a new one so that they can get an Oscar nomination. Okay. So but you... I didn't think any of the new ones were particularly Oscar-worthy. This is um... – I think they I think they would have done even better if they had you titled it was Superman v Batman. Yeah. Why didn't we they should have titled this Beauty v Beast. Huh? Yeah, they really duke it out at one point in the movie. They get all She brings out the She uh, gets all snappy. What is it? She brings out that green stuff. What's it called, Terry? Slime? No. Um the Pl- green stuff. Not Cash? plutonium, Cashola? but uh Krypton, kryptonite, kryptonite. Oh. kryptonite. Yeah, she brings out, and he kryptonite. goes nuts. There's ectoplasm. That's from Ghostbusters. Uh, I will say that the whole controversy thing was way. It was blown way out of proportion. Oh yeah, the, the contra- scene in question was a blink and you miss it. Apparently, scene. a same sex dance. Yeah, but it was like 
people pass it going on to the next partner dancing. Just know, like it's one like, or just passing you know it what? I think it was joke. a ruse. I think it was a marketing trick. No, I think it out. was an agenda push by the director. Oh, is that what you think? Yeah. That's good. Well, I mean, but good for them, I guess it turned out. It was enjoyable enough for free. Well, for those that aren't into Beauty and the Beast, a lot of people are watching basketball. NCAA. Some pretty cool, some pretty cool battles. Tell me about them. Villanova out. <laughs> Wisconsin yeah. in. Hmm. So that was get, a crazy battle. We get a team that likes to walk the ball down the court and stand right. there for 45 seconds, take a shot. No, oh, I missed. Hey, okay, hey, going hey, back hey, the other hey, way. hey, 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 <laughs> hey. That's how they Don't play. Don't make fun of how they win. It's so boring. If Villanova, last year's champion, can't. Well, they don't have the exact same team. Well, but if they can't handle slow ball. Yeah. Are they liked with a name like Villanova? Not Are anymore. they the villains of basketball? Yeah, they're liked. In fact, it was no. That's like Duke and Kentucky. Okay. Um, uh, another another interesting one. Duke last night lost last night to yeah. South Carolina. And there was a lot of celebration. I mean, Duke number two seed. People were happy to watch their fans look very distraught. Of course, <laughs> Kansas, a number one seed, squashed Michigan State. Yeah. UNC time. barely snuck it out. Mm. Arkansas almost beat him. Our Kansas. <laughs> Not yours. Our. Uh, Oregon won. It's great. I mean, this is a fun time. I think I watched more of the college wrestling championships over the weekend. Did you really? I did. I don't know why. I just happened to keep turning on ESPN. And, you oh, know hey. what? Ever since about five years ago when everyone started getting, like, some virus off the mats. Yeah, yeah. I can't watch it anymore. I, I just spray yourself down. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, share, don't share a towel with your teammate. You're fine. Michigan. Beat uh, Louisville. Huh. That was another battle. Battle Royale. I guess I can't say that, but I just said it. Why can't you say it? Well, doesn't that belong to someone? Probably. But Wait, yeah. you're talking baseball now? No, 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 no. Louisville, the Louisville Sluggers. No, the Louisville Cardinal. Cardinals with uh, the coach. What's his name? Patino. Patino. Rick Is he Patino. Still there? Yeah, Fireball Rick Patino. His son's in Minnesota. Went down. Anyway. Uh, Brackets. There's, I think, only eight brackets that even have a shot anymore because Villanova's lost. Right. A lot of people's hopes and dreams were dashed what as they filled out something during work time last <laughs> week. <laughs> Not everybody did it during work time. I didn't do it at all. They all did. My kids are doing it. It's 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 fun. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's super fun. I didn't do it. Like I said, I watched more of the wrestling. I did it. I did it. I yes, last week. Not to brag, I created oh. two brand new workshops. Nightmare week. Like, like Santa's workshop type workshops? Like a workshop. Or? One workshop was oh. for business in uh, communication. One workshop was for like, anxiety. Uh, isn't, isn't it interesting that after the statement not to brag is inevitably a bragging statement? Well, that's not a – that was a without, statement of fact that with, you should think well, is incredible. It's right up there with, I'm not racist, but – and then you say something horrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm not racist, but no. So, so when you were making the anxiety, you were talking last week about this yeah. anxiety workshop. Did you feel anxious oh, as you were making stressed it? out of my head. Why? Then, mm. because the night before, I then, because I spent all the time doing the workbook, I had to then spend all the time doing the PowerPoint. And it's- while I was in the middle of my PowerPoint, my computer, the memory mm. f- was full. Mm-hmm. So it could no longer store my PowerPoint. Mm. And my computer just pretty much shut down. Memory. 
And then I got stressed because I was corners of my mind. eight hours before so my big did, moment. Did you use your workbook to help treat your anxiety you were feeling? No, I just self-medicated. In your workbook, are there sections to color? Maybe a dot no. to dot? No, but I love Maybe. that. Okay. I love yeah. that. Yeah, just an idea. Just tossing that out there. But I then had to redo Topics about a third of my PowerPoint oh. and finished at 3 a.m. Did you make it more soothing so it would actually be helpful to you in this moment of high anxiety? No, I just tried to get through it. Okay, cool. So wait, 3 a.m. I finished like four hours ago? No, 3 a.m. And then I taught the class the next morning at 9 a.m., six hours later. And then, so I was stressed. Let's were you, just say were you that. relaxed? No, I mean, no, no. If you teach a class on anxiety stressed, what does that do? It's a great like, example. It's I think great... it helps drive the point home mm-hmm. better. <laughs> but then we laughed, we cried, it was awesome. Then the thing was over, and then I went home and slept for four hours and was numb. Were there hugs afterwards? There was hugs. Did that provoke any social anxiety by everyone in the room? Yeah. It was real fun. It was a fun (laughs) workshop to teach because when you teach a workshop on anxiety, you have all different types of people show up. We had 140 people there. And interesting thing, that some show up real early. Some show up and want to have their seat where they want it. Right. Some had to check four times to make sure they were on the list. Some didn't want to hang out. It was a neat thing, too, because uh, the place cleared faster than most of my workshops. Wow. Everyone just, I think, it was time to go. Yeah. Everyone, they just had to, they didn't want to hang around. Some workshops I teach, you can't get people to leave. Mm. It's really cool. Anyway, uh, I don't, I'm just telling you that because I slept all weekend. And then Sunday, I just slept. Hmm. Went to church, slept. Went to dinner, slept. It was just a big vegetable. Well... If if it makes you feel any better, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Right after the show, I'll leave immediately. I won't hang around. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Me too. Uh, right after the show, all of us are just going to leave. That's good living. Good living. We'll take a break, friends. Um, that way we don't have to just veg anymore. You've all had weekends like that. Come on. We'll be back. Joe Cannon up next, talking politics. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Joe, 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 he's our Joe in the know. Joe in the know, folks. That's Joe Cannon. He is our Washington insider, and he joins us every Monday to help us make sense of this crazy uh, political world we live in. It's all politics, and anytime we bring up President Trump, it seems to, it seems to polarize everybody. So we like, uh, if, if somebody's going to take the hit, we want it to be Joe. Just kidding. Joe Cannon joins us. He uh, has a has a really in- impressive history. Past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA um, under the Reagan administration, and was also editor of the Deseret News um, newspaper, and currently is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization that's trying to lower fuel costs for Americans. Joe Cannon, welcome. Happy Monday morning to you. Thank you very much, Matt. Happy to be here. We need uh, we need your insight because I don't know I don't if you... know, I don't know about that fog still. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that song. We, we may have to work on it. It's a lot of Joe, 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 Joes. Um, so, Joe, what do you think about uh, President Trump's latest Gallup approval rating? Uh, he's he, his approval rating sinks to thirty seven percent, but in a way, I think more uh, worrisome is the disapproval rating of fifty eight percent, the highest of any president at this point. 
You know, that's really tough sledding for uh, President Trump. No, no question that uh, the sort of the appearance and possibly the reality of, of some chaos, uh, you know, he's sticking to his guns on some pretty tough things. And, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see if this persists or if he gets some big, big legislative victories uh, how how that changes. You've got a lot of things going on this week, the next few weeks. Yeah, uh, you know, in that in that regard. So, do do you sense? I mean, he lost about seven points in approval rating. I guess in a week, roughly. Um, wh- what was it this last week? Do you think that tipped so many people over? Well, you know, as I often say, I don't really know the answer to that question, but my I, I guess my instinct is the whole Russia thing. On, on, and by the way, on both sides, you know, it's like this Russia is gives conspiracy theorists on both the left and the right so right. much grist to talk about, but then so little evidence of either collusion uh, with the Trump folks and Russia or uh, any evidence at all. You've got lots of people, Republicans and Democrats, saying, why are you saying that President Obama tapped the White House? Now, I don't know exactly what he meant. Maybe he said, maybe he meant something different than he said. But having said that, and having lots of kind of respected voices come out and say there's nothing there, I think that I think that might have been a, you know, we talked about this before, even the, the tweet itself might have just been, even for President Trump, uh, a bridge too far. Yeah. And uh, it's it certainly diverted a lot from, you know, people are wondering, why are we worrying about this and not worrying about Obamacare or uh, tax reform, you know, some of the other big things, uh, uh, or or the budget. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I think it does have something to do with the, the wiretap tweet. It may have something to do with the budget, although I just don't think very many – you know, in a popular way, that enough people know or care about the details of a budget, yeah. that that would make a difference. So inside the Beltway, that that's the, the biggest thing that happened last week was the budget. Oh, but I don't know if that's true outside the Beltway, but it, but it seems like what may be happening here is, I mean, if it, if it if it were the budget, there were enough points about the budget that created thoughts like, okay, so you're going to get rid of all funding to the arts. There goes uh, all funding to public broadcasting. Um, you're going to get rid of um, uh, Meals on Wheels, and you're you're not going to help anybody in uh, Africa going through droughts. And I mean, so, you know, do, do you think the Democrats are maybe winning the PR battle? Is it just is some of this just typical press management and the 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 Trump White House isn't ahead of the management yet? Well, definitely the Democrats are winning the uh, PR battle. I and again, I don't know all the sources for that. I you know I understand all the stuff you said about the budget, just for example, but I'm still not sure how that changes anyone's opinion by itself. I mean, most people who care about those issues are already not Trump supporters. True. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and so so I, I just don't know how the budget thing cut, but but clearly the all this Russia talk, A yeah. and the Obama the Obama uh wiretap talk, all of that does 
seems to have a lot of uh, public attention to it. And I think there's there's so much, you know, it could be that the, and I don't know this either, but someone must, but it could be that the Congressional Budget Office's scoring mm. of the Obamacare uh, frightened a lot of people. You know, it's like, oh, this, you know, it's a, a one reading of that is that, uh, um, you know, you're just going to have millions and millions and millions of people without health care, and it's going to affect people who, you know, uh, even who voted for Trump and support Trump. So I, I don't know the 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 turmoil around health care could also have uh, be having its immediate effect. Yeah, no, that's true. And and when you think too, um, I mean, it might be a compounding thing, right? And maybe an exhausting thing. Maybe more and more people every week are getting tired of it. We do have um, FBI Director Comey up on the Hill today to um, testify to um, the Intelligence Committee. I mean, he boy, Comey keeps being put in these positions that he just would rather probably not have to go near. D- does any of that matter? I mean, is there anything James Comey's going to say that, I mean, he's, we already have intelligence leaders telling us nothing happened. But by the way, Republican um, intelligence uh, um, committee right. members and as well. Nunez, so Yeah, Nunez, uh, I mean, they're... I of course, again, I don't have any idea what uh, Director Comey's going to say, but it doesn't seem like it's going to say anything that's different from what has already been said by Democrats and Republicans and current and former administration officials. Uh, so, yeah, there's just there's a lot of turmoil around this issue. And in a lot of people's mind, it has very little to do with the actual governance of the United States. So, uh, so I don't, I don't know. You've got you've yeah. got the healthcare turmoil. You've got the spying, Russia connection, wiretap allegations. That's those are the issues that seem to me boiling to the surface that are creating a lot of attention. I do want to say one thing about healthcare. Yeah, let's I've talk about that. Numerous times. I'm not a, a healthcare expert, but. I did read a piece by a guy named Grover Norquist. Now, many readers, many listeners may know Grover Norquist, but he's a big tax watchdog, a, a person deeply embedded on the right edge of things within the Republican Party. He's a right. very, very influential guy in a lot of ways, including with people like the Freedom Caucus, the Republican Study Committee. He very, and to me, very counterintuitively, basically said that the Congressional Budget Office report, while it, it uh, focused on, uh, while the public attention was focused on the, the number of people who would be covered and some of the problems with uh, Medi- Medicaid at the states and all of, all of that, he says this day will be remembered in history because it also announced that the repeal bill that's up, up for consideration this week uh, would reduce taxes by around $900 billion yeah. and cut federal spending by $1.2 trillion over 10 years. And what he says is that that's going to give the Congress a lot of running room when it comes to tax reform, A and B, that a, a bunch of this stuff could be done uh, with only 51 votes in the Senate through the so-called budget reconciliation process. So it's it's a lot of money out there that he thinks – 
will spur the economy. I have no idea whether any of that's true, by the way. I'm just saying that for a guy like Grover Norquist to come out, and it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on the conservative side of this thing, saying, well, we, we have to do something. Maybe this is better than not anything. In fact, maybe it's pretty good at the end of the day. Huh. And I mean, because it, it, it is a very complicated way that they're going about doing this in three pieces and some of it being, you know, it, it all has to kind of precede the tax uh, stuff that they're going to do later. Is is it just too complicated to explain effectively? Um, because it seems like the Republicans are are getting, you know, like they they look like they have no clue what they're doing. Yeah. But But these guys have been thinking well, about this forever. And you've got some pretty good minds on the game. Yeah, the, the, those last two points are are pretty important points. I don't think Ryan would be scheduling a vote for Thursday if he didn't have a fair amount of confidence. But, of course, he's, he himself is a great political risk if he fails. Right. Uh, but but he has Trump's backing, which is, counts for a lot, especially with the, with the Freedom Caucus. But, you know, this just – going back up a few thousand feet and looking down, a lot of what's happening now is what used to happen behind closed doors. I mean, there's, you know, there's the very, very famous overworked, hackneyed, you know, sausage legislation comparison. You don't don't want to watch sausage being made. You don't want to watch legislation being made. Well, we are like a right on public view. We're seeing the sausage being made in Congress in a way that we haven't uh, for quite a while. You know, uh, so you're you're seeing a very robust debate, almost all of it on within the Republican Party, because that's that's what matters uh, in terms of Ryan getting enough votes. But you said you made a point. You know, a lot of smart people are thinking about this. A lot of smart legislators are thinking about this. And um, I, I just don't think it'd be being pushed through if Ryan didn't have some confidence and I have heard I have heard rumors, stories that that some of the Freedom Caucus people are peeling off. They say no, but who knows? We'll yeah. we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Let's take a break, Joe. When we come back, uh, I, uh, one idea or one topic that just came to mind that I want to ask you about is John McCain um, and kind of the Rand Paul explosion. And what's like, you know, is John that far out there or is is this just politics? Also want to get into um, the Gorsuch confirmation hearings that start. Um, is, is this going to be a surprise or, you know, are the Dems going to turn and just roll and give the Republicans what they want on this one? We'll take a break, my friends. Speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, Joe in the know. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Shines in a different way Welcome back, friends. Joe Cannon joins us on the phone. He's our Washington insider, Joe in the know, we call him. And uh, he currently is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can go to fuelfreedom.org to find out what they are doing to lower the fuel costs here in the United States. Joe, thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Lending your insight. Um, what do you think about the the simmering, the long-simmering John McCain, Rand Paul issue, feud? Is this just well, politics or is – I mean, because it's 
and maybe explain the politics of it. A lot of people revere McCain as, you know, kind of the guy that could work with the Democrats. Well, that's a reason that some people revere McCain. Another reason is his his very carefully crafted uh, image as a maverick. Mm. So he loves the fact that he's a maverick. Uh, I mean, if if the Republicans had 45 senators, this wouldn't matter. And if they had 55 or 58 senators, this wouldn't matter. But they have 52. Mm. <laughs> and, and so McCain has uh, out, outsized power because it's not just McCain. It's he and Lindsey Graham seem to be two peas in a pot on on many many if not all issues so you've got uh, you've got a lot of power there concentrated then you have Rand Paul who I think has a long-standing I don't know if he would say disdain it seems like it's disdain for um, a lot of the positions that uh, Senator McCain takes so you've got a a very small handful of senators uh, who have outsized power and influence because of the narrowness of the uh of the majority in the senate yeah that's interesting how that changed i don't, I don't know if game. i'm answering the question no, or but, not, but that's yeah but so so he can he has i guess he and uh, lindsey graham have a little more power to you know to create some opposition maybe you know gather or garner a little more power um what what do you think going forward with Gorsuch and this Supreme Court nominee, Neil Gorsuch, his confirmation? Uh, I mean, it begins. The hearings begin uh, today, I believe, or this week. What uh, what would you expect to see there? Well, I think he will be, end up being confirmed. Uh, the the more interesting, and you know, unfortunately, occasionally we delve into really boring things on this show, Matt. So maybe I'm <laughs> risking whether you even want me, but. But there are, there are four possibilities, really only okay. four possibilities with Neil Gorsuch. One is that he gets 60 votes to bust the filibuster and then go on and have a regular vote where he gets 51, all 51 Republican senators and probably one or two more. I mean, at least Manchin has signaled a strong interest in, in voting for Gorsuch, or at least not opposing him. So... So one scenario is they debate, they have these hearings, these are four days of hearings, like over, you know, one of those whole days, by the way, is going to be speeches by every member of the Judiciary Committee. Uh. I think that, that plus, I think, Gorsuch's opening statement, that takes up one whole day. So the word hearing is a little bit yeah, uh, right. Speaking. ambiguous here. We are going to definitely hear, and they're going to speak a lot, but I don't think you're going to see much on the first day. Then the next, you got a couple of days and maybe two and a half days of, of real questions and grilling or the Democrat. It's, it's all going to be an ideological kabuki show. Nothing new will come up in these, quote, hearings, <laughs> close quote. Uh, he is who he is. Everyone pretty much knows who he is. Uh, who he is is not what Democrats want. And so they're going to do as much as they can to bring out things, uh, you know, statements that he's made that are inconsistent with their ideological judicial view. But anyway, going back to the possibilities, you got one possibility is they, uh, they do everything they're going to do this week and uh, they threaten to filibuster 
and you get the 52 senator Democrats, Republican senators, and you get eight uh, Democrats who say, look, we're not going to fall on our swords over this nominee. Uh, and so they bust the filibuster, they go to a vote, and then we're done. Hmm. Okay. There's one. Next possibility, though, next possibility is, is that they do the nuclear option. Nuclear option is, and it's very detailed, but I won't even go to that. I mean, it's not as easy as it sounds. Well, they just vote to go with 51 instead of 60. There actually has to be some uh, legislative magic for all this to work. But the, since Harry Reid set the precedent, um, the Republicans are going to just say, we're following that precedent. Boom. Nuclear option. We're just going to vote 51. Hmm. Um, the third, and I think actually very likely the, mo- the, the, the most likely possibility is the so-called two-speaker rule or Senate Rule 19. I'm sure almost no one has heard of this rule, hmm. but it turns out you can you can hold, uh, you can require. It won't go into all the details, but you can require that each speaker can only speak twice during the legislative day. So that might sound to our listeners like, well, okay, two speeches a day, and you know, but but a day. It means a legislative day, not an hour day. So, for example, there have been legislative days in in the Senate that have gone as much as 162 days in 1980. There was another time about 105 days. So these legislative days could go for a long time. But the point is, is that if people who are in opposition to the motion are only entitled under this rule to speak twice. So they all have to speak once to start, and then then you can hold it open for as long as as soon as they get up the second time, that's the ending of it. Hmm. It's, it's a lot more it's a lot more detailed than that, but but that is something that that some of the Republicans, including Senator Mike Lee, are pushing because they feel a little queasy about just going to the nuclear option. Hmm. Um, so it's more like a anyway, filibuster, I guess. Is that what that would turn into? Well, it, it's it, it, it's a very time-limited filibuster. Right. So in other words, you, you can only speak for two times. And once you've had that second time, then a majority, a majority, 51, could say, okay, we're, we're finished with the debate. Now let's oh, vote. Okay. It's like the nuclear. It's like the nuclear option, but it's a more procedurally – Correct, according to some of the Republicans who who care about uh, the uh, uh, procedure. Okay. So so this is coming more from the Mike Lees, the Ted Cruz's of the world are saying, let's not necessarily let's not just go nuclear, let's let's do this so-called two-speech rule, Rule 19, uh, and and let it play out. Then we vote. Yeah. What's, what's now, the fourth I don't know how, option? How it works? Yeah, yeah. The fourth option is that he withdraws. That's not an option. I, yeah. said, I said four. Yeah. It's only because there's a technical possibility that that the president could withdraw, but there's no way that he this is going to get withdrawn. So it's going to come down to. Well, I don't know which is the. I said Rule 19 might be the most likely. Yeah. Number option number one could be the most likely because. Uh, this a doesn't change the ideological balance of a nine-person Supreme Court, and you've got you know at least ten Democrats, and you could, some could argue that it's more a bigger number, like twelve, thirteen Democrats who are sitting in states that Trump won, and uh, is this something they want to fall on their sword, sword over? Yeah. So you you could see 
a lot of sturm and drang. You get a lot of angst, a lot of uh, uh, discussion, hand wringing, and then you know six six. Uh, I mean, eight Democrats just say we're not going to filibuster this. If eight Democrats say that they could still vote against Gorsuch, they could just say we're not going to self-immolate here and fall on our swords over this particular nominee. Eight votes gets you closure, and then you go to vote, and it's 51. And that's, that is a, uh, I, I, I would have thought a couple of weeks ago that was the most likely option, but you've had a lot of what's called the whipping. The, the Democrats are really whipping this issue among their caucus, saying, no, we've got to be unified on this. Hmm. So it could be an interesting week, you know. Yeah. Not not so much not so much what goes on in the hearing, but what the jockeying that we get let into what? Uh, by various reports and who's really doing what. And yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, and there's probably stuff going on behind the scenes with Chuck Schumer and the whip and whatever. But I'm sitting here thinking, you know, there's certain times too that you could just give your eight people to to make this. Uh, to to make this decision because it seems like, and many are talking about, there could be another justice still within Trump's term that would need to be replaced. And so maybe the bigger fight is down the road, not right here. This is just a replacement of Scalia. That, and that's, and like you say, you, you can have a deal where there's a lot of bluster, a lot of angry speeches. Maybe they start down the road to cloture and then, but with a wink and a nod, you're going to get eight, eight Democrats saying, we're not going to do this now. Because the, the other rumor, I have no idea how true this is, but a lot of smart people are talking about that Justice Kennedy is going to retire at the end of the term in late June, early July. Oh, wow. And if that were to happen, then that would be uh, a, a big cause. But I, I've heard people very, very knowledgeable people on both sides of the aisle that, that, that have developed now almost a belief that Kennedy is going to step down. Mm. Obviously, we don't, we don't, oh, I don't boy. know what the truth of that. But, if, but that is in the background, and that's definitely clouding, yeah. clouding this debate because, you know, one sense you're just waiting for someone to die. That can happen in a day or in a year in a day or two years in a day. Uh, you know, my mother's 94 years old and strong and vigorous. Right. So, you know, uh, who knows how long uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg can, can hang on. So we don't know. Yeah. But if you if you believe, if part of your belief system is that, uh, that Kennedy's going to step down this year, all of a sudden that makes things much more concrete. And, oh. and then, then the balance is on, on a bunch of very important issues – that balance is that threatened. Yeah, he was that swing guy, the swing vote. Now, I guess the issue is, can America handle that? That would be intense, that battle. That will be a battle. That will be, because then it is about the ideology of the court. And there will be a filibuster. In that case, there will be the nuclear option. I'm, I don't believe that Mitch McConnell and even the most ardent Republican supporters of the filibuster rule will say, we're not going to let a small minority of uh, Democrats undo this really important vote. Yeah. I don't know. I've been wrong on a lot of things. Well, very, I mean, 
I mean, and it's hard to know with a Trump. It really is. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Thanks for your insight. Uh, Happy Monday to you. Keep up your great work there at Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go to fuelfreedom.org. Just Joe's work trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. Uh, It's not easy. Can you imagine going back and and working in in the chaos of Washington? Well, that's what Joe's doing. Um, We'll take a break. When we come back, we actually will have Leanna Tan talking about spring cleaning. A little tangent, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today is the first day of spring. Some people see spring as a great time to clean up the spaces around you. Some researchers trace the origin of spring cleaning to the ancient Jewish practice of thoroughly cleansing the home in anticipation of the springtime memorial feast of Passover. Producer Leanna Tan shares some tips to make spring cleaning a breeze. Happy first day of spring, everyone. The birds are chirping, the snow is melting, and it's time to open up that window and let in some fresh air. Spring is a time for new beginnings, fresh starts, and you know what that means, spring cleaning. But before you whip out that toothbrush and face mask and start scrubbing away at all the nooks and crannies in your house, let me give you some advice. I found this great article on VarietyTribune.com that I couldn't stop reading because it had so many interesting cleaning hacks. So I compiled a few of them and brought to you... Five unexpected household items that will make your spring cleaning a breeze. Number one, rubber gloves. Okay, these might not be completely unexpected. You use these probably every time you get down and dirty with those nasty chores. But rubber gloves have more use than just protecting you from moldy dishes and hazardous waste. For all of you pet owners, here's good news. They attract pet hair like magnets. So all you have to do is wipe your hand over that furry couch cushion and it'll stick right to your glove. Then dip it in some water and all that hair will come right off again. Easy peasy. Don't you love your cat a little bit more now? Number two, ketchup. Yeah, apparently not just good for a tasty hot dog or hamburger, but also a great cleaning product. I know our kitchen sink gets filled up all the time with people leaving pots and pans soaking for days or hours to try to loosen up that burnt food. But if you cover the surface with ketchup, the high acidity of the tomatoes helps eat away the mess. So be sure to have that ketchup bottle next to your all-purpose cleaners and bleach. It's not just a condiment. It's now part of the cleaning product family. Number three, coffee filters. You probably have a ton lying around. Or if you decided to kick that coffee habit, that's okay too. Coffee filters are cheap to come by, and they do more than just help you get that extra morning boost. They also double as feather dusters. The thin, fibrous material is great for catching dust particles. So... Just wipe off any surface like a shelf, TV, or even your LCD screens in circular motions and they'll be spick and span. Number four, your microwave. I learned this trick in college and it's been a lifesaver. There are few things I hate worse than the nasty smell of a dirty sponge. Sponges are porous, so they're great for holding all that soap and water for your dishes, but they're also great for holding bacteria and mold. If you don't kill those germs fast, you could be eating them when you use your dishes. So, the simple solution... Soak your sponge and stick it in the microwave for 20 seconds. It can eliminate more than 99% of hidden pathogens and 99% of those horribly odorous nightmares. I can attest from personal experiences. Number five, a can of Coke. 
Coke is best where your mother always told you sugar and caffeinated drinks should be. Down the toilet. The calories and acidity in Coke probably aren't the best for your stomach. But they're great for your toilet. The acidity in Coke breaks down the lime scale and dirty particles and leaves your toilet bowl shiny and clean. So dump your Coke down the toilet and make your mama happy in two ways. Clean toilet and healthy you. Okay, there you go. You didn't realize those common household items had secret superpowers, did you? Now get to getting. Go dump your Coke down the toilet and start covering your pots and pans with ketchup. Yep, this year of cleaning will be a whole new adventure. Well, happy spring cleaning, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy International Day of Happiness. We're celebrating it. Internationally, everyone happy today. Turn that frown upside down. Terry. What? <laughs> it's International Day of Happiness. Oh. So I want to know what you're going to do to celebrate today. Um, you're gonna dri- go- I'm going to drive home. Yeah. Um, make some lunch. Probably a taco salad. Yep. As I have every day. And then I will uh, fold some clothes, do some laundry. Okay, then what? This is the, um, this, this is the International Day of Happiness. Yeah. Um, so far, I haven't, I don't know that I've hit a happy nerve yet. I'll gather my children around. We'll probably go to the gym. Okay. Isn't there some measure of contentment from doing these everyday tasks? Yeah, absolutely. Just thought there'd be something different. Might watch my favorite new show. Balloons? Are you going to get balloons? No. <gasps> I know something Party different what? I'm going to do today. What? Exercise. <clears throat> Excellent. That'll make you happy. I'm going to... Eat. Oh, a guy's coming to aerate my lawn. Whoa. I think your definition of happy and mine is different. Oh, okay, sorry. Just we have different definitions. Just thinking about what's happening today. Okay. <laughs> it is. So, all y'all, figure out a way to celebrate Happy International Happiness Day. And you got to just not be happy because that could you could do any day. You have to be happy internationally. Hmm. How do you do that? Well, I think if you're going to have a taco salad. Okay. Or you book a plane ticket. And you go to some other country, but by the time you get there, it's no longer International Happy Day. Yeah, then it's probably some other day. Boy. Hey, uh, it's also Won't You Be My Neighbor Day. We're celebrating Fred Rogers today. Mr. Rogers raised many a child it's a beautiful day in this with Mr. McFeely, that funny, crazy guy, that cr- the crazy delivery man. He still is. Is he still around? Well, no, not him, but... Did you know when you were show. younger... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still or, got him there. Or did it? Did you not find out until you were older that he was doing the voices of all those puppets? I did not know that In that older. alternate universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did notice that a lot of the puppets had the same, like, tenor in their tone or their voice. Yeah, there was one that freaked me out. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one that lived in the... Was it the king? No, she lived in the museum, the merry-go-round museum. Yeah, the merry-go-round museum. That what was her name? Lady? No, uh, lady, that she was the one that was the human. Was it Everly? I forget her. Oh, name. that lady scared me. Yeah, she's on the uh, Daniel Tiger cartoon they made out of all those characters. Oh, really? Yeah, she looks a lot more well, the, 
pleasingly pleasing to the eye because that, okay. that puppet was yeah. scary. Yeah, you know it's not easy making every puppet look pleasant. I mean, if you're a puppeteer, you should know that. So uh, today we're going to be talking about our brains, and there's some powerful new science coming out that's showing us maybe we're not using our brain to its fullest capacity. Maybe we could get more out of our brain. Yes. What's her name? Lady. Uh, Ooh, Lady Elaine. No, but I thought Lady Elaine was the. Uh, that is freaky. Yeah, that yeah. she scared me. Everyone knows who it's we're talking about. It's too much about. blush. If she would have yeah. toned down the blush a bit. Well, I think she – it probably wasn't even blush. She probably was just flushed because she had to try to get off that Ferris wheel museum, mm. which isn't easy. It's always moving. You know, How do you get off of that? Anybody where the – any character where the eyes don't move, that's scary. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to trust that. It's like she had two glass eyes. We've we've ah. had guests on the show. Lady Elaine Fairchild. Lady Elaine Fairchild. She ran the Merry-Go-Round Museum. Oh. I actually, they call it the Museum Go-Round. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was just kind of scary. And she may have been nice, but I just remember terif- being terrified. They called her a cranky schemer. That was it. Hey, who she doesn't was- know a cranky schemer? Any museum curator for a museum where there shouldn't be a museum? Like a museum of merry-go-rounds, mm-hmm. those are the scariest ones. Like any horror like movie yeah. where a, a, the main character shows up at some weird museum and they're the only patron there, mm-hmm. and then they turn, they exit the museum and turn around and it's just gone. Ooh, see, this is I think exciting. I've cracked, it. I've cracked it. You've cracked. You've cracked something. It's um, <laughs> it, and I I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, but BYU Radio has a show. Called the it, Matt Townsend Show? In the making. Oh. Mm. That may involve museums. But so, not the scary ones. Museums After Dark? Is that what it's called? No, or? no, no. It's going to be really good. So anyway, be looking for that. I'm sure we'll have them on the show. We'll do a little uh, yeah, preview sure. as soon as the show's ready. Um, all that fun today. Celebrating Mr. Rogers' International Happiness Day. Plus, we'll talk about a galloping moose. Have you ever been just snowboarding and then all of a sudden a moose passes you? I was camping and in, a moose just sort of walked through camp. Yeah. That was fun. I went snowboarding once and couldn't move for the next two days. Yeah, so it's like it's, – It's kind of the same thing. Similar. This moose – it's a great video. The moose is galloping and it's – I mean those things can haul. Yeah. And this moose passed a snowboarder like they can in go full up, sprint. They can go up to 35 miles per hour. Can they really? Mm-hmm. But how do they park? That's what I always worry about. Mm. They have a park assist feature. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. It's really the safest way to go. I, I think it's called a path. Mm. <laughs> the, old, the old park assist feature. So we'll talk about a galloping moose surprising a snowboarder in Colorado. Uh, all that fun. Plus, of course, uh, some new discoveries of the brain. we got to pick up our game. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Judge Neil Gorsuch arrives on Capitol Hill today to begin his confirmation hearing for a seat on the Supreme Court. He will give President Trump his first chance to make a lasting impression on the federal judiciary and Republicans a fresh test to work their now uh, their will now that they control all of Washington's levers of power. Gorsuch, a federal appeals court judge from Colorado, promoted by conservative legal activists because of his sterling credentials, a decade of right of center rulings, and his allegiance to the same brand of constitutional interpretation employed by late justice that he would be uh, replacing Antonin Scalia. Opening statements from the senators on the committee and Gorsuch will be today. Questions actually to the judge will be held tomorrow. So today will be a lot of bloviating. 
tomorrow will be some questions. Ah, what a great word. Bloviating. I love bloviating. It works when you watch con- you know, Congress start talking. It's just yeah. hot air. Also, Homeland Security. They uh, asked for uh, prototype proposals for the planned U.S.-Mexico border wall. Revealing really? further details on what the Trump administration envisions. The contract notice uh, describes a, quote, physically imposing wall that will be made out of reinforced concrete and stand 30 feet tall. So concrete, 30 feet tall. One document emphasizes the wall should, quote, look good from the north side while being difficult to climb or cut through. The Associated Press reports the north side of the wall, the U.S. facing, shall be aesthetically pleasing in color, anti-climb texture, etc., to be consistent with general surrounding environment. What, what's an anti-climb texture? Not sure. I guess Crisco? Could be. You just put some grease on it? Maybe spiky, but maybe you could grab onto the spikes. I don't know. Mm. It all depends, but that's how the uh, how it's worded. Right. House Speaker Paul Ryan said Sunday that he will seek to change the Republican health care plan in order to help older Americans who might face higher costs. We believe we should have even more assistance, and that's one of the things we're looking at for the persons in their 50s to 60s because ex- they experience higher health care costs, Ryan said on Fox News. Adding the goal is to dramatically lower the price of the plan for the 50 and 60-year-olds. But even that, we think, will uh, should be offering more assistance than what the bill currently does. The full House is expected to vote Thursday on legislation. So Ryan wants to change the plan from what it's currently at to adjust for 50 to 60-year-olds, make it it easier, but they're going to vote Thursday. Oh, sure. So who's going to read it? Well, no one's reading it. Remember, these, this is the health care bill. We don't read this bill. You, you, you pass it, then you read it. Yeah. So That's how we just con- do it. We've done it that way for there. years. Again, moving a little fast here. And finally, yes. it's the happiest international happy day or yeah. happiest. Whatever. The latest World Happiness Report shows that Norway has jumped from number four to number one in the world as the happiest country on earth. No way. No, Norway. No way. Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland... And Finland make up the rest of the top five. Wow, that it seems to be geographically yeah. they've kind of cornered the happiness market. There's an market. enclave of happiness. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Happening. Thank you. Despite a rise in income in the U.S. over the past ten years, happiness has declined, leaving Americans in 14th place. The chief executive officer of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen says, "Oh, hold it. Yeah, huh? The Happiness Research Institute is in Copenhagen. Yeah." With the same area. That's now number one in the world. Oh, how convenient. Absolutely. Conspiracy. A happiness conspiracy. What works in the Nordic countries is a sense of community and understanding in the common good. There you go. Yeah, and they seem to be completely out of the rest of the world discussions. Or they're there, but they're not in the forefront. Yeah, do you think Frozen has anything to do with this? <laughs> the, the movie Frozen? Yes. Hmm. What, what's your thinking? Help me, help me go down that rabbit hole with you. That movie makes a lot of people happy, and it's. Uh, do you think being frozen helps you, you know, weather the tough times? Um, Is that what you're saying? If I, you live in Southern California, yes. Yeah. <sighs> Which is where Disney. Is ah, it's all a fix. Good point. So Disney's helping Southern Cal be happy, 
Yes. But not as much as the Happiness Institute in Copenhagen is helping the that area, that geographic area be happy. Right. Disney needs well, to get their game Well, that's kind of where up. the where Frozen takes place is in that area. Yeah. yeah. So that's I mean that's So you have a corporate, you have a, a nation state uh-huh. and they're just working and you, together. And you have a to... pseudo organization researching happiness. Right. See, conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. I'll guarantee you the Russians are involved somehow. And Russia's in there. They're fixing it somehow. Oh, yeah. And, and Breitbart. Right. Everybody's in Disney's pocket. You're back to Disney. Well, yeah. they're the money. Yes. They're the money and the marketing, yeah. Yeah. really. Yeah. The rest of it's just kind of make it look good. Yeah. But it's all money. Have you guys read um, – oh, there's a great book out. Not to change the subject, but I'm changing the subject. Go on ahead. There's um, another one of those statements – not to do this, <laughs> but I'm going to do exactly this. There's a new book out that uh, is the number sexist. one bestseller book on Amazon. Do you know what, what it's it? called? Number one bestseller. Is it by that little girl? Mm-mm. If you're happy and you know it? it's No, it's Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide. Number one bestseller. It's a book put out by um, Michael J. Knowles. 266 pages, all blank. They're all blank. Really? It's the number one bestseller on Amazon. Hmm. So it's essentially a journal. It's it's essentially a journal. But the guy says it's the most – you can go cover to cover in about 15 to 20 seconds. It's an easy read. The conservative journalist told Fox and Friends – by the way, Fox and Friends, of course – the only place advertising it. It took a very long time to research this book, he said. When I observed their record and reasons to vote for Democrats, uh, I realized that it was probably best to just leave all the pages blank. But it's, 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 it's selling off the shelf. The Democrats uh, booed God. That's not good. This was all at the Democratic National Convention, he said. They um, so they I decided boo, they booed yeah. God. He said when I started wow. researching the book and going through w- this exhaustive study process about why people should vote for the Democrats, he, he said I turned to the DNC National Convention and it turned out that they were deciding whether or not to include God in their party platform, and the Democrats booed God. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. The audience is booing them booing God. God. It's a double yeah. boo, which is really a positive. Two, I guess. Anyway, um, so I decided <laughs> probably if I'm going to make a good case to vote for Democrats, let's just leave that chapter blank. So he went through. Available. The book is available for $8.03. It's a good buy. That's a great buy with all that research involved. and it's What de- does the cover look like? It's, uh, it looks just like um, it's got a little Democrat, a little horse on it, or I mean a donkey. The Democratic donkey, and it's got a flag. It's a very basic cover. And then nothing inside. But the, the funny thing is, is some, somehow it's reaching the level of being a bestseller, which is not easy to do. So, wow. As a guy that's written a book, it's not easy to make a bestseller. That's frustrating when, you, when people that put out actual content yeah. can't get any views on YouTube or can't get anybody to buy their product. But uh, a guy that basically sells a blank inside book <laughs> kills it. Yeah, I mean, just think it's about like those that. blank inside greeting card people. Yeah, they blank get paid. Inside. It's three or four dollars a card, and you got to do no all work. the work. Yeah, I mean that's a racket. If I'm going to pay you, do the work. Don't 
yeah, if I'm buying a card from you, Hallmark, and there's nothing inside and I got to do the work. You ought to know exactly what it is I want to say. Right. And you ought to know how to say it better than me. I mean, you're the people that, you know, you've been doing this for years. If I'm doing the work, you should be paying me. That's a great point. See, Jeff, these are the, these are the points a lot of people don't think about. That's why, that's why we do the show. We want to help you through life. Don't buy a blank inside card. Just get the card with something written. And make sure you choose the right writing because you don't want to give a funeral card to somebody that's, you know, celebrating a wedding. And for heaven's sakes, you don't want to write your own thoughts. Well, they'll die eventually. Yeah. Oh, this world we live in, where you can have an empty book be a number one bestseller on Amazon. Crazy. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking about some uh, powerful new uh, science of the brain and peak performance. Stick with us. Leadership has been uh, long treated as an art, a fuzzy philosophy based more on fads than on facts. That accounts for endless stream of game-changing management books that seem to come and go almost as rapidly as Paris fashions. It also explains why today's leadership guru is often more today's tomorrow's forgettable footnote. But effective leadership isn't an art. It's a science. Frederic Fabricius, neuroleadership expert at the Munich Leadership Group, is joining us this morning to discuss her ideas of in her book, uh, The Leading Brain, which will help us learn how to become better leaders and reach our full potential. Frederic, thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, thank you having me on the show. You bet. This is, um, to me, I love uh, studying leadership or an influence and how to influence people. But you're telling us science now and neuroscience, I guess, specifically is helping us understand uh, some traits that make people peak performers that leaders need to know about. Yes. And that's so exciting because we now have tools that are evidence-based. You know, it's not that I make up those ideas and say, I think it's a good idea you do this or that. We can actually measure brain activity and see what people can do to perform better. What, um, what are, um, g- give us an example of what neuroscience is finding out about the brain that helps us target and, and, and really lead others better. Yes. If you look at the brain while well, people are performing at their best, you have to look at a brain region that is called the prefrontal cortex. That's what we use for rational thinking and decision-making and logical thinking. And you need three substances to perform at your best. And I call this the DNA of peak performance. And you need all of these three substances in order to perform, to give your prefrontal cortex a boost. And they are called dopamine, noradrenaline, and acetylcholine. Um, I can, if you are interested, I can tell you about each of these substances and how they make us perform better. So, so these are actual um, brain chemicals. Dopamine, we, we yes. kind of know know about. Was it was another one adrenaline? Noradrenaline. Noradrenaline, which is a positive stress hormone. Okay. So and okay, um, yes. Yeah. So get get into those three chemicals. Talk us talk to us about the the impact that just chemistry has on the brain there. Yes, if you look at dopamine, dopamine is released when we're having fun. It's part of the reward circuit in the brain. So when people are having fun at work, 
they perform better. And I'm not talking about the after-work party. I'm really like, if you as a radio host enjoy being a radio host, then you will do a better job because you will have the dopamine flow in your brain, which enhances brain performance by helping you to um, process information more quickly. It makes your um, prefrontal cortex more efficient. So So true. People should be having fun. Yeah. And then you have the noradrenaline which is um, a little bit of healthy stress. So you need a challenge. Imagine you were to interview the same person every day. You would get bored Mm -hmm. unless it's a very interesting person. But, you know, after a while, you will have known all about that person. You need new challenges, new tasks. You always need to hire your stakes. So you need to be slightly over-challenged in order to perform well. And that's where the noradrenaline comes in. When we're a little bit nervous, and a little bit afraid to fail, and when we have um, a big, bit of a challenge, not too much, then noradrenaline is released, and that also boosts our brain performance. Oh, that's interesting. So, um, as a leader, we, you know, there may have been a theory that you got to make your office fun. And I remember back in the dot com world, we wanted it fun, so everyone had, you know, we had foosball tables and ping pong tables, and it was a really laid back environment. But you're saying you need to have more than just fun to release dopamine. You also need to be slightly challenged. If you're too challenged, that probably just creates, you know, stress cortisol, I'm assuming. But but having the proper balance of of challenge makes noradrenaline. Yes, and I call it to be slightly over-challenged. Yeah, yeah, so I like that. You need to be a little bit, it needs to be the step of next development. You, don't, you step a little bit out of your comfort zone, and that's exactly where you need to be to learn and to grow as a person. That's great. And what was the third so one? It's not about uncontrollable stress. You know, it's not about having a slightly unfriendly boss. It's about having tasks that are challenging. Right. Um, and the third one is acetylcholine. And acetylcholine is a substance that is released when we have focused attention, when we are focused. And this is something that I see really deteriorating in many organizations because people are constantly checking emails and multitasking. And if you think of a concert piano player, a performing artist on stage, He's not going to check his emails while doing that. You can't get into the zone or flow or your sweet spot if you're distracted. Hmm. That's fascinating. So, so, so we, we may be creating unintentionally cultures and environments um, that, that chemically are upsetting us. Absolutely. And many people are in a threat state. Um, a threat state is a part of constant stress in the brain and we can see that it makes your prefrontal course work less efficient when we're in a stress straight state and i'm not talking about being challenged i really talk about you know being overwhelmed with work and distractions and unfriendly people our prefrontal cortex shuts down and we can't focus fully anymore interesting and then um it's funny it must be horrible because we don't even know why we're shutting down and it, I mean, it's but we just feel burdened because it's not fun, or we're not being stretched enough, um, or we're just we're we have too many interruptions, and yet our body is naturally just responding to that. And I, I guess the traditional philosophy would be, well, then you just need to you know hunker down and and suck it up and just focus more. But it's not about more focus, is it? 
No, and it's not going to help. What, I, what we can see with these, you know, everybody needs these three substances to perform well, but the conditions under which you reach your peak performance can be very different. Let's say, I, I don't know you very well. Yeah. I mean, first time we speak, but imagine you were one of these people that run a marathon at the weekend and you go bungee jumping on Monday and on Tuesday you fly to Japan and on Thursday you're back. And, you know, if you're one of these people and they're called sensation seekers because they often have a mutation in the dopamine system that makes them crave exciting things from the environment. If you're one of these people that are sensation and thrill seekers, you need a lot of pressure at your work to perform well. You, you probably prior to an interview, you wouldn't read any information about that person so that you're a little bit stressed about not hmm. asking the right questions. You know, whereas a person who has less of that active dopamine system and who is more thriving on routines and regularity and the comfort of um, knowing what's going on. And these people have a different structure in the dopamine system. They will want to prepare as meticulously as, as possible. And you need to give people the possibility to create the work environment they need to perform. So you could be an equally good radio host by being a sensation seeker or by being a person who needs more structure. But hmm. you need a work environment that allows you to choose your settings. Do, now, you call these um, – uh, are these are neural signatures. Like we, we all have our own approach chemically for what drives us, what makes us a peak performer. And um, how, how do I know what mine is? How do I know my balance? Mm-hmm. Well, there are tests that you can take. For example, the um, neurocolor test by Helen Fisher. And it will tell you if you're a person with a more active dopamine system or a more active serotonin system, which is about um, more equilibrated work and more structure and routine. Um, this is something that you will also find out as soon as I tell you about this, you probably instantly realize it, whether you're more of a sensation seeker or less. Mm. And that's all you need to know. You need to, I think you feel, um, when an environment, a work environment is either too challenging or not challenging enough. And, and, and is, is that the are, only one? Yeah. Is that the only, uh, chemical we're trying to manage is whether it's I'm a thrill seeker or not. No, it's not. Okay. I mean, you can, I can give you um, a little bit of an overview of that. Yeah, do. Um, first of all, um, you know, there's the dopamine system, and we have discussed that already a lot. People who have a very active dopamine system, they constantly look for new challenges and new n- novelty. They're novelty seekers. Um, so that's the dopamine, and people defer to that degree also, whether they are more risk-taking or more safety-seeking. People with a very active dopamine system, they're always looking for risk-taking activities. They could be gambling or drinking. You know, I'm saying this without judgment. It doesn't yeah. have to be, but, you know, the probability is higher that you engage in those activities. And then, then we have the serotonin, and the serotonin is important for mood stability. I think... People might have heard about antidepressants that regulate the serotonin system because people who are depressed tend to have um, a serotonin system that is not active enough. Hmm. And you, you change that by um, reducing the uptake of the serotonin uh, in the brain. So 
when people have a very active serotonin system, they are probably very stable, very reliable, very loyal. They like structures and routines. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, because in many organizations, there's a lot of emphasis on these thrill seekers. Right. Successful if you're always running and always trying to do the next best thing. This does not correlate with intelligence. We need all of these people. It's not, um, you know, I'm not a thrill seeker and still I, I manage to do things in a, in a very pressure, pressured work environment. It's about knowing who you are. You don't have to. But when I, when I worked at McKinsey in the past in management consulting and I was surrounded by people who constantly like to travel seven days a week, I wasn't comfortable. Yeah. But this doesn't make me a stupid person. Right, you know? right what I'm trying to say. So it's all about um, finding the right balance. People with a very high serotonin system, they could, when I ask um, executives, and I work a lot with executives, and I ask them, what kind of jobs would these people be good at? And they say, oh, nursery homes and bureaucratic stuff, and they sit somewhere where they just process boring data, and, you know, maybe Mm. kindergarten teacher, and they said, no. Nobel Prize winning researchers, Pulitzer Prize winning authors, you know, you need a certain uh, attention for detail and a certain perseverance in order to get some things done that require a larger attention span. And people with a high, um, with a very active serotonin system, they tend to be able to focus on a topic over a very long time and to really get into the details and to really know all the laws and regulations and to pay attention to detail. And that pays off when you write a book, for example. It's not possible to do that without a lot of editing and re-editing. Oh, it's horrible. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you need, you need those skills. They're not wasted. And then another substance that is important is estrogen. People with a very active estrogen system in the brain, and it's a neurohormone, um, they tend to be very good at relationships, and they pay attention to other people's feelings, and there's a high empathy in these people, hmm. and also high verbal fluency, so you're able to express yourself very eloquently. And we tend to attribute so that to skill. women, right? Yet estrogen, men have estrogen in their system. Exactly. And there are men with a very active estrogen system, and they often are writers, you know, and they have professions where they can excel at these skills. Yeah. It's not limited to women, but traditionally we see estrogen as a female sex hormone when in reality men have it too. Hmm. And then we have testosterone. Funny enough, that's the, you know, the counterpart, and that's about logical, rational thinking. There's a certain tough-mindedness to people with an active testosterone system. There's a certain drive and a certain desire to to have power as well associated. They have a good spatial orientation. So, you know, these four systems, the dopamine, the serotonin, the estrogen, and the testosterone system, we all have these four. You know, there's not a person who doesn't have testosterone. Right, right. But we we are different to the degree to which we express um, those um, substances. And they make up our, what Helen Fisher calls, neural signature. Hmm. And we need to know 
our neural signature if we want to to know how to move forward. We're speaking with Frederique Fabritius, and she's walking us through um, some information in her from her book, The Leading Brain, Powerful Science-Based Strategies for Achieving Peak Performance. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue discussing this neural signature and how we figure out and understand ourselves, as well as how do we lead others. It's a science-based approach to leadership instead of, you know, just a concept. Now the concepts are being proven out by neuroscience. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Frederique Fabritius. She's the leading neuroleadership expert at the Munich Leadership Group and is an executive coach, leadership specialist with extensive expertise working with top executives from multinational corporations like Bayer, Audi, Montblanc, uh, Ernst & Young. I mean, I think she's 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 touching them all. And as a leadership, uh, I, I used to do some leadership consulting, and it's interesting I think what, Frederic, you're bringing us is finally um, – and, and this is happening in, I think, a lot of areas. Neuroscience is catching up with all of these these philosophies and assumptions we've made about humans. Exactly. And it's uh, – you know, um, my mother, she said to me when I started out doing this, she said, you know, these are all things that your grandmother probably would have told people to do, you know, huh. work out sleep well, be friendly to your co-workers, increase trust and fairness. But the reason why people now buy in into that stuff is because I can explain why it's good to do so. And somehow that makes a difference. Right. Well, it makes sense, too, because um, because these are chemical issues. You can see why um, a woman having a baby would upset uh, chemistry or potentially upset it, or a, a man suffering from a uh, you know a cancer treatment could totally restart and reshift chemicals in their bodies. So it's almost like we're we're more of a, f- a flowing fluid uh, thing than we are this static human being. If our chemistry oh. changes, we change. That's so true. And also, I'd like to add, it's so important that we understand this body-mind connection. Mm. That might sound esoteric, but oh, yeah. it's not. There's, you know, people used to think it's a one-way road. You feel sad, and then you may have a bad, um, sad body posture or a sad face. But it's the other way around as well. It's a two-way road. So if we have um, a good body posture... Or if we put a smile on our face, this will also put us um, into a better mood. Mm, that's right. Because our brain picks up signals from the body. And when your body is relaxed, your mind will relax. And we, we've talked um, about that. Yeah, body posture, uh, Amy Cuddy's work um, yeah. through Harvard. And, 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 but I guess this is, this is something I've always wondered. And, Frederic, here you are to answer it. Um, so, really... My thoughts could generate my chemistry is what you're saying, but simultaneously my chemistry could generate my thoughts. Um, If, for example, if I have a lot of testosterone on board, I guess that's what would make me more consistently tough-minded, power-oriented 
driving, driving, driving people. Um, yes. Now, what would happen if, for some reason, you know, you hit 55 or whatever and your testosterone levels start to drop? Does Do people start to wonder if your personality is changing? Is this a midlife uh, crisis? It's a very good point. Um, it's a very good point. As people get older, testosterone level drops and also dopamine levels go down mm. and people become less of a sensation seeker and are more um, oriented towards routine. To give you an example, in a nursery home, if you change the lunch schedule and you say, today we serve lunch one hour earlier or later, people will get very upset. Yeah. They get very confused. They will really experience this as a stressful situation. Whereas if you tell a 20-year-old you know, person, you know, um, dinner is one hour later, they're going to say, like, whatever. You know, yeah, now right, later, right. Now early, I'm going to survive. People are more. There are two things that happen when we get older. We get more um, adapt to to routines. We we are less able to adapt to constantly changing challenges, and we also become less of power seekers due to the drop in testosterone. Hmm. So we don't care so much anymore about always being, you know, the best. And <laughs> it's um, it's. It can be a good change. The good thing is that there are things you can do to prevent from that to happen. Exercise really boosts your dopamine levels, and that will boost your testosterone levels. So those chemical substances, they always interact. They're not active in isolation. How do you... So exercise boosts dopamine and testosterone. How would you suggest you boost serotonin? Also exercise, you know, it has been shown that exercising every day for an hour is just as effective as an antidepressant. Mm. And, and, you know, these antidepressants that that, um, interact with your serotonin system, exercise is just as efficient because what exercise does, it boosts all of your neurochemicals. Mm. Do you worry... um, I just I actually just did a workshop on anxiety and anxiousness and um a lot of the people's pushback is they just don't want to start going down the chemical track and I guess my question is the minute you start injecting or putting some new chemicals in to like maybe you know manage the serotonin levels oh yeah it's a system and all of a sudden it could start impacting every other system Oh, you're so right. And you know what happens, for example, when people take um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is the new um, SSRIs, yeah. Yeah. If people take that, it will have an impact on their dopamine system and it will suppress dopamine. And what happens when dopamine is suppressed? People don't fall in love as easily Hmm. anymore. People don't take risks anymore. People have less fun People are less curious to explore new things. So your mood might be stable, okay? But it's kind of gray. You don't have ups and downs anymore, which is a good thing if you plan to kill yourself. You know, it's right. better to have a to stable have the, mood and right. not have a, you know. But if people take these medications over a long period without really having serious, serious problems, it will have a very negative impact on the other chemical systems and they will have less joy in life. Hmm. I I know an artist that uh, ended up taking an SSRI and 
it amazingly it stopped their depression they you know they weren't having the depressive thoughts but they also were no longer driven to create their art Yes, and dopamine is very much linked to artistic drive. We can't be creative without dopamine, and there's also no drive to be creative. It's, it's like we don't care anymore. You know, when there's a lack of dopamine, it's a little bit of whatever. You know, I could do that or I could not. You lack the drive to be creative. Yeah. Talk about um, – so we we could go figure out what our neural signature is – um, and then, you know what else I guess is f- fascinating for me, Frederick, is why are we not um, – it seems like doctors should maybe be more on the forefront of this. And when you do come in with you know drive issues or other issues, figuring out and managing chemistry better and, and figuring out, yeah, you know what? Your testosterone level is really low. Your estrogen level is really high. This is going on. This is going on. It seems like it could be a really major tool that would help in mental health management, and even just life management. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to know who you are. Um, Very often I have people coming, you know, executives that say, oh, I'm so stressed. Can you help me with my emotional regulation? You know, do you have techniques so I don't get so angry anymore in stressful situations? The first thing I ask is, you know, why do you want to do that? What's your work environment like? If you have a bad boss, and your wife tries to divorce you at home, no wonder you're stressed. You should be stressed. You should be stressed. So it's not about trying to stay zen and then have a million mindfulness techniques so you stay calm no matter what. First, try to solve the situation. And when you know who you are and when you know what you need, then you can adapt your environment to fit your needs. You shouldn't change yourself. You should try to change your environment. Yeah, and, yeah, and 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 start leading your environment. I mean, really, one little turn, one little change in your environment, getting maybe you back to your passion, might reignite more of that dopamine, and all of a sudden you're back on the dopamine train. Absolutely, you're so right. So very often, it's you know, people are in the wrong work environment, and you need to control that and and, and feel. And, and and also, what has been shown is that when people take charge of their life. So when people take an active approach to solving their problems, um, cortisol is reduced and dopamine goes up and uh, people feel less stress. Yeah. So. You know what? That's – I guess that's that's the key to this. Well, Frederic, we – you know, we appreciate you acting, knowing, learning about our brains, our science, our, our, uh, our chemistry. Powerful stuff. The name of the book, The, Le- uh, the Leading Brain, Powerful Science-Based Strategies for Achieving Peak Performance – Frederic Fabritius is uh, is the author of it. Great uh, insight, great work, folks. You can't get ahead of yourself enough. I mean, to to now start taking these feelings and driving them down to a chemical level—that's power, power in your own uh, life. We'll take a break. Come back. We'll be discussing. Uh, we'll be talking with McKenna Baus, the mind bender. Stick with us. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you didn't know. Now. McKenna Baus is in the house. McKenna is our mind bender, and today she's going to help us by, uh, bend a little bit of our stress away. Hopefully, that that is the You're goal. You're going to help us de-stress. Yeah, we all need that. I need that. I need it, like right now. Okay, help me. Well, here we go. 
So a lot of times when you're really stressed, people you know say, "Hey, it's not as bad as you think. It's fine. It's Relax. Fine. You'll be okay." They have you think like you know think of the positive side of this. Like, how is this going to be good for you? <laughs> and you know that that works. That's a neat thought for maybe you know thirty seconds. Right, right. And then you're just like, "Crap! What's and going on?" Wondering I can't. where you're going to go from there. Yeah. Um. But there's sort of this new approach that uh, was put out in the Harvard Business Review that's saying, you know, when you're stressed, one of the best ways you can get over that stress fast and just move forward is to force yourself to start going through the worst case scenario. Yeah, I've heard of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always call it the so then what? Yeah, because then then you have to deal with, okay, well, well, yeah, well, she'll break up with me. So then what? Yeah, well. Then we'll be, you know, then we'll be divorced. So then what? Well, I guess it'd be horrible. Yeah, and then what would you do? Exactly. It forces the hand. It really does. So the, but the science is saying maybe you ought to look at the worst case scenario. Yeah, and so the the reason behind that is, you know, they sort of make the argument that pressure and stress are not the same thing. But pressure turns into stress when you add rumination to it, when you sit there and you think things over Mm -hmm. all the time and you start to catastrophize. Yeah, and worry about it. Exactly. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And the idea is your worst case scenario that you think of right now is probably a whole lot better than your worst case scenario you're going to be thinking of, you know, down the road. Down the road. Right. And so what you do is when you're starting to feel that pressure – and you can feel that, you know, stress is coming on and it's building a little much. You pause. You say, okay, you know, if I bomb this presentation, how bad is it really going to be? Right. And, you know, you're like, well, my boss will be really disappointed. I might not get that raise. That'd be, you know, that really stink, but I'm pretty much at the same place I am right now. Yeah. And so at that point, you're like, okay, and it's a lot easier to deal with. And it stops you from ruminating because you've already set that sort of end point of where that worst case is going to be and that pressure doesn't turn into stress. Right. But if you hold on to it and you keep thinking about it faster, faster, all of a sudden that worst case scenario turns into I lose my job and I'm living on the street and I can't feed my kids and you're a mess. Well, our last guest even said the mere fact that you act on it and start acting on it immediately creates – a dopamine and a serotonin push. Yeah. So you start medicating by by acting on it. So if if you're going to have negative thoughts, maybe the way you act on it is you you just figure out what's the worst case scenario. Really you control it. And what would I do? Yeah. You write the narrative. Yeah. And you do it while you're still, you know, in control of your line of thought. Because once you get to that point of stress where things are really bad, yeah, it's a lot harder to regain control of your thinking and to get rational that ruminating because ruminating i'm telling you that tips over so many people yeah it's the worst well especially you have a lot of time to think and some people are um what we call higher sensitive they're people that just naturally are going to take in more of this stress Mm -hmm. and and if they can't get it out of them yeah then where's it going to go but just keep circulating in their head yeah i feel like this is sort of the equivalent of you know when you have ate some really bad food Mm mm-hmm and you start feeling sick, and you don't want to be sick, but sometimes it's a little better to just get it out of yeah. your system. Oh, no. How many times have I said, I just got to throw this up? Yeah. I just got to throw it up. You, you just got to be done. Yeah. And so it's sort of like oh, doing no, that I'm going to keep stress. it down. I'm gonna, no, I'm going to keep it down another couple hours. It's going to be worse. Yeah. And so this is just get it out of your system. And that's a pretty graphic example, but 
But I think it works. It's true. <laughs> it's totally true. So let's take it to Jeff. Jeff, can you see a day that you would just, instead of, you know, being optimistic, it might be better for you to just go ask, go look at the worst case scenario. See, I feel like that's more of my wife's job. <laughs> and I I tend to be a little more optimistic. I wouldn't even say optimistic. I, I think it's just a matter of wanting to put off anything that's negative. Yeah. Or that you want to go to that happy place. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe I don't need to because she does that and we're a good balance. But does, does she ruminate? So will she just keep spinning the negative story in her head? Um. Yeah. But again, I wouldn't say she's so negative as she is realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. See, I don't have to do it because so, we balance so what you each do, other out. But what you do next time she brings up the issue like, so what if this and this happens? Then I always, as a, when I'm coaching people, I'm already like, so what if it does? Let's just go there and solve it. So tell me what you'd do. And then they start wrapping their head around it. And all of a sudden they realize, well, I'll, I'd get over it, I guess. I mean, I'd have to fix it. Yeah. But every once in a while, we just are resolved to the fact that we, we have trials. Yeah. We know that. It happens to everybody. And uh, the, whatever, this, whatever this example is you're talking about, this is our next one. Yeah. And we just get through it. Yeah. And by the way, you got through it before. You'll get through it again. Yeah. Worst case scenario, McKenna, you did it. Yeah. You just you just bent our brains out of shape. That's what Sometimes I try to do. you don't need to avoid it and be positive. Just go to the worst case scenario and think your way through it. What exactly. would I do? Exactly. McKenna Baus, Baus in the house, the mind bender. Thanks, McKenna. You can catch McKenna on our all of our social media as well. We'll take a break. Be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's the house of Baus. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest research and information to help you lead a healthier, happier life. You know, we could just give you news all day for crying out loud, but that just stresses you out. Instead, we will teach you uh, the latest and greatest. Today, in fact, we're going to be talking with our uh, one of our wonderful uh, marriage and family professors here at Brigham Young University, um, Brian Willoughby, about three ways emotional suppression hurts your relationship, how it hurts you. Many times, you know, if you have feelings you don't want to share, you just want to suppress them. You just put them in and you just pretend like they don't exist. Instead, we're saying you got to let them out. Or you can disguise it as a problem that both of you have. I feel like, uh, I feel like we don't listen to each other. <laughs> like a statement, a we statement? Yes, but it's really, Your I statement. feel like you don't do this. I feel like you don't listen to me very well. Really? You feel that way? Yeah. I've been meaning to tell you this. I mean, oh. Well, I thought I, we were open. I'm up. grateful. Are we not? I guess we're not opening up. I'm grateful that you didn't say we. I feel like you are a or, horrible listener. Or maybe just, you know, disguising it as a compliment yeah. when it's really not. Uh-huh. Like, I really love your ability to um, say- ignore some of the things that I say sometimes. 
I think it's it's a talent of yours. It's a, it's a talent. I love the ability you have to um, say offensive things that might hurt someone's feelings and be so direct that you cause pain. Wow. I'm just saying that. I'm not saying that about you. That was an example. I love the way that you acknowledge that I recognize my talents. Yeah. These are all ways, folks, that you can uh, use to help uh, manage your emotional suppression. So instead of suppressing it, you let it out. It's the because uh, if you suppress it, then it turns into the kraken, and then eventually it's coming out. And when it come out comes out, it's going to ruin your ship. I feel better already. Do you? Yeah, okay. I think we made some some real head. What is it? Headroads? Uh, head, headway? Inroads. Head inroads. 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 Uh huh. Headways and inroads. Headstrong. Yeah. Yeah. We um, in fact, I want to have a meeting after because we've made some headway. Uh, I've got some emotions I want to share with you. We'll have that after. Sounds painful. Yeah. Hmm. Just get it out. We don't even have to translate that. (laughs) Isn't that scary? Like when somebody (laughs) says, can we talk after? I don't want to do it now because I don't want to ruin the show. Well, you want to instill the fear of God in them. I don't work. know if that was the right expression again, but... Uh, You've kind of been off. Your expressions have been a little off today. I don't know why. It's kind of Are sad. you complimenting me on that? I'm just stating a fact. Okay. No, no compliment, nothing positive or negative about that. Today we will also get finally to the galloping moose story. A snowboarder uh, on, a, uh, on a run in Colorado has a moose start chasing him, and then eventually whew, the moose passes. But I'm telling you... The, those moosen. The moose died? Them there moosen done run fast. Wow, a dead moose story? No, the moose didn't die. The oh, moose, okay. He just ran down the hill. He just passed lapped. by. He lapped. Okay. He didn't pass. I see. Yeah, the didn't. woman's on a snowboard with her GoPro and went, whoa. I mean, yeah. I had my sentimental music queued up and everything. Oh, no, don't, don't go there. No, 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 it's fine. Also, uh, we'll talk about an Alaska man who needed to get into his ATM, so he used a front-end loader. Just picked it up and I guess tried to take it away. It's another way to get your money out. Plus, you know, what happens when you find out you've got a 140-pound tumor? Ooh. Do you name it? Well, I mean, it seems like— It's part of the family. A 140-pound tumor doesn't sneak up on you. It's not a tumor. (laughs) It better be a tumor. We'll get to all that fun. Uh, But uh, first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? FBI Director James Comey confirmed today while testifying publicly at a House Intelligence Committee hearing on Russian election meddling that the FBI is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 election. That includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government and whether there was any coordination between the campaigns and the Russian efforts, Comey said, as well as an an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. Comey said he had received permission from the Department of Justice to publicly disclose the existence of the investigation because they don't necessarily comment on ongoing investigations. So he commented that there is an investigation on Russia and any participants that may have been working on campaigns and talking to Russians. Specifically the Trump campaign. Did he mention wiretapping? He says, just like the FBI, the DOJ also has no information to support President President Trump's wiretapping claims. How about microwave oven no, wrangling? No, that was just something that was okay. wrong. Um, so yeah, so no, they're investigating Russia. 
and and you know their 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 involvement in the, the election, and also there's nothing to support any wiretapping. So now we're back to the White House later today. So now there's no evidence from anybody about wiretapping. Yeah. What are you doing now? Are you still going to back up the story? Uh, apparently, the line of the day, according to this uh, reporter, Comey answered to Trump tweet saying he tries not to engage in any ism, especially McCarthyism. Okay, I, I got one more question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Were, were there any other advanced techniques other than wiretapping that would have needed a FISA court order? Possibly. Um, Again, there's creative ways to give evidence as they're well, finding. Well, and, and if you're under investigation, there's, uh, there are other ways to gather data that aren't just always wiretapping involved. Right. I mean, that's interesting. Okay. Okay, interesting. Okay, yeah, moving keep on. Going. Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch confirmation hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee has been scheduled for today, I believe 11 a.m. Eastern, which is just a few minutes ago. Uh, the hearing for President Donald Trump's most high-profile consequential nominee for this year is expected to last three to four days. Opening statements today. He'll Gorsuch will speak probably later this afternoon for a few minutes because they all read from prepared notes and all that stuff. You've seen the hearings before. Oh, yeah. uh, questions about his uh, judicial past, I guess you could say, will begin tomorrow hmm. on previous hearings. So if you like to watch that stuff, I remember watching some of these when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Quite uh, quite boring. Yeah. Bork. Remember Judge uh, Bork? Judge Bork. Uh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas. That was a fun one. That was a, a little, little, a little less boring. Fun to watch as a little kid. Yeah. My mom's like, I'm not going to tell you what that means. A suspicious vehicle was stopped at the White House uh, checkpoint by the Secret Service late Saturday night. The driver was detained. A Secret Service spokesman said uniformed officers increased their posture for readiness when the car, which was stolen, approached the checkpoint. What is a posture of readiness, Matt? Uh, it's this one. <gasps> okay. Like that. <laughs> I just like to strike a pose. The spokesman said the criminal investigation was launched. According to NBC News, the driver claimed to have a bomb inside the car. President really? Trump was, of course, not home. He was in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Which is, you know, where he goes on the weekend. Uh, and finally, Netflix may possibly will be tinkering some more with the service. Really? Yes. You you took offense to some tinkering they were thinking about doing. Now what are they up, going to do? down, all that. Um, no more watching the same minute-long intro song and credits before every episode. Oh, really? You might have a button where you can just skip the intro. Because people are already doing that. I do that all the time. I needed that greatly. I'm watching a show now. I think it has a minute and a half intro. It's beautiful. Oh, it's I've, fantastic. I've, yeah. I've watched it once. Let's well, just skip ahead. <laughs> Amazon, one thing I love about Amazon Prime Video is that you can either go 10 seconds backwards or yep. 10 seconds forward. Love it. Right. Love it. Okay. I'm, I'm more okay with that. The version of uh, Netflix through my... Uh, my uh, satellite box, you hit the button and you can see the pictures. Uh-huh. And once it, of course, isn't the opening credits, then you hit stop and it's perfect. It hits it every time. Yeah. So I don't even have to, but but the fact that you have to like, oh, because they show about 30, 40 seconds of the show and then they play the intro and then they come back and you're like, could you just skip it? Because most network shows, the intro is like 15 seconds long now. Yeah, right. Because they, they need more commercial time. They they, they throw up the, the name of the show and hit a, a little music hit and then you're done. You don't need this long, tell me the entire Drawn story out. every time. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I don't like that. I'm not offended by that one. Okay, that'll work. I mean, Netflix, don't mess. But you like the stars over the thumbs up. Thumbs down. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't care who's, I don't want the volume. I don't care how many are watching it. Yeah. I just want to know those that would watch that genre. What do they think? Five stars. 
That's what I like. Right. No more tinkering Netflix, unless you're going to start airing Tinker Told Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. That's okay. Hmm? Yeah. That's tinkering that's allowable. It's a movie. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy or the Tinker Bell Chronicles, which might be a cartoon. Yeah. No, don't don't tinker there. <laughs> hey, a galloping moose. Hmm. Well, you won't believe this. A galloping moose surprises a snowboarder on a Colorado run. I saw the video. A moose so on the loose. Caught several skiers and snowboarders by surprise as it galloped headlong down a run at Breckenridge Ski Resort in Colorado. This has got to be... The video is scary because at first she doesn't know if the moose is loose after her. Is right. it going to? Is it trying to get her? Sherry Luther was snowboarding Friday when she saw the moose approaching. She shot video of the large animal coming within feet of her. Luther, who kept snowboarding, is heard saying, I don't know where to go, before screaming as the moose runs by her. Resort officials say no one was hurt, and the encounter is a good reminder that skiers and snowboarders share the mountain with wildlife. It's a good reminder. Yeah. What do you, you do? Do you just stand there and watch? You know what? I That's why I always carry moose repellent. He didn't make any aggressive motions towards her, just running down the hill. I think he was just having fun. Yeah. His tongue was kind of wagging. Yeah. So yeah, but he was in full gallop. Yeah. And it was amazing, too, because we would slip down the mountain. Yep. He was just cutting it straight yep. down. Awesome. It's the, the, the rack, his moose antlers that were there. Yeah. They were kind of balancing out the... Yeah. The Did he have a process. rack? I don't remember no, the rack. He was rackless. Yeah. I've had a rack on a moose that chased... It didn't chase me, but mm-hmm. he came storming down my mountain a mountain by my cabin and it and like like branches were being destroyed blowing up as the force of this moose and he ran right by me and then i passed out i don't remember anything after that really wow and then i woke up in some cottage with a lady tied up i was bound and she was trying to feed me mushrooms with to the heal. boiling pot in the stove yeah. okay yeah now, maybe you, that was another story. Yeah, could have Do been. you remember the plural of moose? Moosen. Moosen. I thought it was meese. Meesen. Yeah, meesen. Little Brian Reagan there. We just went Brian Regan yeah. right there. Not Reagan. That's the other Brian. Hey, um, bats. I got to tell you this about bats. Do you know how bats find their mates? Radar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, they, they smell their B.O. Really? Yeah. Huh. Flying You're mammals. You're pungent today. Come over here. Okay. They use bats to help identify the optimum genetic capability. So they use the BO, helps them understand genetically if this is going to be a good mating partner or not. Mm. This, of course, is bat odor. Yeah. Right? BO. Okay. Yeah. yeah what, what are you talking about? What, yeah. yeah. What else would you think? <laughs> bat odor. Uh, so these the winged <laughs> bats, they um, they... The males are continually trying to announce themselves by mixing an odorous cocktail with chemical components in their wing bags. Wow. Do you remember when Jeff had that wing bag problem? Yeah. Making sure the molecules reach the female noses, fluttering the wings in front of them. So they have little wing bags and the Mm -hmm. bag, it's just like little, it just actually looks like a little, like deodorant stuck under their arm. Okay. And they... It's a wing bag. So it's kind of caked on. It's a it's like a BO-ish wing bag and then they flap their wings and it gets the the scent out to the female. Wow. And then if she likey, hmm. she chases the bat, I guess, and it creates a, a, a mating ritual. Okay. 
Is so it, is it their pheromone? Is that what that is? is I don't it, know what it is. It's, it's a strange. mix. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. You probably oh, yeah. don't want to use that in your. You may want to use that in one of your your couples therapy mass. No, all the palooza things. Not, you do. I, I probably won't go. You should call them data paloozas. Yeah, I should. Yeah, and then and you talk about bat wing, bat what armpit wing bags or whatever. Yeah, wing bags they're called. Yeah. Um, they also use acoustic communication, the social calls, not uh, echolocation used by these animals. It's very important in a species just uh, like in the rest of bats. We found chemical substances are detected by a sense of smell, and they're also important. They're just as important as echolocating. The hmm. smells then would bring the right partner to you. You could totally twist this into whatever stuff you talk about. Yeah, you, but you, you just said that like and it was negative. Well, I mean I, – you you come in and you've said it's it, you have to have a thing. If you're going to give a presentation, you have to have, you have, to have some thing. thing that will help that people can wrap their minds around. And yeah. this is your tool to help improve your relationship. You can use bat smells. You can say bat odor, Go honey. Your your wing bags <laughs> they runneth over. Right. Yeah. Doth runneth over. I mean, if you want to get, fun. well, you'd have to, you know, shape the message a little bit. Always got to shape the message because you can't be stinky. We have a different yeah. approach in our society than bats do. But well, see, maybe that's a kinder, gentler way to say it, honey. Instead of saying you smell, yeah, just say WB. I mean, because BO's got a bad name now. Right. WB wing bags. Mm. So in this case, it's not bat smells; it's mat smells. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I go there. Maybe workshop it a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to workshop can, uh, it. We'll get back to you on that one, folks. Refine the edges. Uh, you know, we can't know everything, but we we did find how bats fall in love. And I'm sure there's a component of this for non-bats. I wasn't trying to come up with a new name. I was just saying Matt smells. Okay. We'll talk about that after the show in our meeting. That highly emotional meeting. <laughs> But up next, Dr. Brian Willoughby will be joining us to help us talk about three ways to uh, that emotional suppression hurts. Like that one right there that Jeff just did is one of them. That was a delayed reaction from the audience, too. I think it took them yeah. a few seconds to catch the whiff. Catch the, catch the, the mats, idea. The catch, smell. Catch the point, you meant to say. We'll take a break. Dr. Brian Willoughby up next. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Brian Willoughby joins us. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life at BYU and is also, um, he's, he's what I like to call the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> he used to be in charge of the, he was the director of the Relate Institute, but not anymore. That's right. You done I've spun that on. off. That's and right. now you've got, now you're just full professor, but you're writing a book that's due out. Hopefully in a couple months. In a couple months. Yep. Just putting the last couple pieces together. And then you know what's exciting about that, right? Then everyone can just shred you. That's right. And just exactly. like, what's he thinking? That's yeah. like crazy. You put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. I'm used to academics doing that. Yeah. And now anyone can. Now anyone can. Right. Anybody that knows nothing about your field yeah. can do it now. Yeah. Those Amazon comments can oh, start piling yes. up. Oh, it's a good one. You can find out more by, about Dr. Willoughby. Go to drbrianwilloughby.com. 
drbrianwillaby.com is a great place to get them. Now, you're talking about today, today you're going to teach us about emotional suppression. That's right. Some people then, they just stuff it, don't they? Yes. A lot of us do Yeah, that. we do. Actually, it's, it's interesting because this is one of those paradoxes where we go into relationships and we want someone that we can talk to. Right. We, we want someone to that we open. can open up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's who we're looking for when we're dating. And then we find that person. We get in a relationship. We get married. And then we stop. Because we get scared. Yeah. Now, why? What? What changes that makes us? Because we're kind of more of an open book before, aren't we? Than we are after. Sometimes, because what happens is what we don't account for for when we're looking for someone that we really want to be open to is we forget that when we do that, we start to get worried about what they think about us because Uh, we like them. Yeah. And so we start to get worried that well, if I get really angry or frustrated or mad about something, and I tell them all these things that I'm frustrated with. Well, they're going to get mad back or they're not going to like me or that's going to start a fight. And so we think – and sometimes we have this this mistaken perception that if I'm in a good relationship, we don't fight. Yeah, good people don't fight. Yeah, we don't fight or we, we don't – I don't get angry. That's my problem. That's my issue. And so so then I suppress it. Interesting. So then it, it's it's a horrible trap because then you the, – the more you fear it, the less you share it, but then it builds up. Yes. And then the more you fear sharing it and then – Eventually, I'm assuming this breaks. Yes, and then, and then we get the dreaded R word in a relationship, Ooh, what's which that? is not romance. What? It's a different topic, resentment. Oh, then they resent. Because then I have this resentment that yeah. built up, You know, again, whether it was anger or frustration or whatever it was, right. that I think, well, it's, it's just going to go away. It's not that big of a deal. And then lo and behold, it stays there, and then I start to resent you. Mm. And then I guess then you're – you're stuck. This could be 10 years in. So yes. now you're 10 years in with a pattern. So how do you go back and change a whole pattern of 10 years plus maybe a fear of tw- of your right. lifetime? Yeah, it's hard. At some point, you have to learn to get past the suppression and be vulnerable with someone. You have to learn how to actually open up and tell someone, I'm angry with you or I'm sad right now or I'm frustrated. Mm. You have to be willing to do that. And is it is the key your ability to say it and do it, or is the key also or the the other half of it their ability to make it safe? It's both of those things. Yeah, it, it's, I was having a conversation about this last week. It's the hard thing about relationships because yes, you have to learn how to recognize the emotion and not suppress it and to put it out in the open in the relationship. But then you have to trust that partner is going to have good relationship skills and is going to be right. open and receptive. Right. And, and sometimes they're not. Oh. But you have to have both of those things. And we're doing this, I notice, we're doing it, you know, when we're younger. I mean, we might be in our 20s where we may not even fully know our own register of emotion. And yes, and and we're maybe not be mature enough at first to start these habits. So, mm-hmm. But is it possible to get it 20 years in to figure this out? It is. It's, it's certainly harder the longer we've had patterns, especially negative patterns. It yeah. can be harder to break out of them. But sometimes it's easier just to do it about little things, right? A lot of times the the big issues about our kids or about our, our intimacy or, or, or whatnot are really hard to break out of. But at least if I can start to say, hey, you know what? We watched that. We went on the date, went to the movie theater, saw a movie. I didn't like it. I know you loved it because you were, you know, the second the credits yeah. were going, you're telling me how this is the most amazing thing. You want to see it again <laughs> and bring our kids and go on a double date. Am I okay saying, you know what? I actually didn't like it that much. Yeah. You know, so finding those little things in a relationship where you can be honest and open about emotion and thoughts can be a good place to start. Start with the little things. Mm-hmm. So one reason the emotional because suppression isn't good for us is because it decreases intimacy. But I could see a lot of people thinking. 
it's better to just suppress it than fight about it. But you're saying no, no, yeah. it's going to impact you one way or another. Yeah, because so intimacy is a broader term than we usually give it credit for. Yeah, right. When we think about intimacy, we think about physical intimacy. Right. But intimacy is just getting close and familiar and understanding someone. And that can't come if we're not able to be open and honest and vulnerable with our partner. So, yes, we might not fight a lot, but we're never developing deeper intimacy and deeper closeness right. with each other. You know, there, there's this mistaken idea, and we've talked about this before, that conflict is bad. And it's not. Conflict is just disagreement. It's how you resolve the conflict that can be healthy or unhealthy. Right. And it's, I guess, to to not have conflict does not equal intimacy. Right. Exactly. You have to have – you have to be vulnerable. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can contrast this a little bit with your friendships. Friendships are fascinating relationships because they feel so vital, but they're actually the most unstable and in kind of least important relationships sometimes right, actually right. in the long scheme of things. And most people don't have a lot of conflict with their friends. Yeah. Maybe your best friend right. sometimes. But most of your friends you don't have much conflict with. Well, that's because you don't have much intimacy with them. Right. Honestly, you just don't care that much. It's not worth it to you. Yeah. But in a romantic relationship, in a marriage with your spouse, with your romantic partner, it's important that you start to develop that over time. Because the other thing that can happen is not just the resentment, but that boredom and that desire to, oh, I really want someone that I can be open with. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was fine after the first five, ten years because we never fought and things were fine and we're having fun together. But eventually I want something more in my it's, life. It's interesting because that's um... – that's why we talk about commitment being important in marriage because commitment, it should give you um, kind of a safety net to say, I'm in, I'm here, I'm good. You you can trust me. We're in forever. We're going to run this thing forever. Um, so it seems like marriage should be easier, yeah. but it's also riskier because, you know, if this blows up. Right. Yeah, you're more emotionally invested yeah. in it. And and, th- and this is and, – and we use faith usually as a religious term, but I think it's very applicable with what we're talking about with the marriage is you have to have faith, right, which is kind of believing in something you can't see yeah. or you don't know is yeah. going to happen for sure. In my spouse, that when I share these emotions with them, that they're going to reciprocate, that they're going to be okay, that they're going to stay with me. Oh, because there's always the joke that the women are like, well, tell me what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And the man's thinking, oh, you cannot handle what I'm thinking. Right. Because exactly. you will – I'm about to quit my job yeah. and I just might drive to, away, just leave. Yeah. Um, so how do we grow the ability to share it and receive it? How do I grow my ability – I mean you said start with the little things. Yeah. How else can I grow it? One of the first things a lot of people have to do is, is – and this seems simplistic, but it's a skill that you have to develop – is understanding your own emotions. A lot of us don't recognize when we – I mean we kind of get the sense in that, OK, I'm, I'm angry right now or I'm frustrated. But we don't take the time to really dissect, you know, what does that mean for me? One of the first things when I teach emotions to, to my students is I, I do an exercise. Actually, what I do is I give them a fake assignment that they didn't know was coming that day, like a yeah. pop quiz. And they're college students and so that stresses, stresses them out. And, they get, you know, so, and some get angry and some get sad and some get frustrated. Um, and then I tell them it was fake. And what we do is we process that a little bit and talk about, okay, what was that anger like for you? All right. Some of them will feel anger and they'll shut down. Some of them will get angry and they'll start thinking all these nasty thoughts about me. You know, so do you, pro- yeah. do you project outward? Do you go inward? You have to understand what the emotion does for you so that you can start to recognize and say, okay, I'm talking with my partner, something's happening. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about wanting to go somewhere else or read a book. That's my cue 
that I'm angry about something. Hmm. Now I have to start to think about what just happened that made me angry. And, and, and start getting kind of the trigger, yes. figuring out yeah, what figuring trigger Figuring out what that trigger is, what it was for me. So that, I, like I said, you can identify it early and immediately. And sometimes, you know, really healthy couples will sometimes even get to the point of, of having a conversation. One partner will say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm not even sure why. Yeah. But I can, I can tell that I'm getting angry. Yeah. Let's talk through what's going on and, and help me figure this out. Well, and it may even be, too, that somebody could seem angry in every sign show anger, but they have never thought of that as anger. Right. And they'll just yeah. use another word. I'm not angry. I'm upset. <laughs> and you're right. thinking, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. But they yeah. may not process it as mm-hmm. anger. Yeah. And th- that's part of then understanding each other. That's cool. Is understanding that how I feel anger and what it does to me is not going to be the same as my partner. Right. This is what makes it it, it helps us be authentic. Now I can actually be true to what I'm feeling and yeah. be true with you while I'm feeling it. Right. That and, creates integrity, it seems yeah. like. Trust. Yes. And helps helps us each understand each other. Yeah. I need to understand that my partner might feel frustration or sadness in a different way. And sadness is actually a big one because when, when our partner feels sad, we want to comfort them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they feel sad in a different way or it expresses – it gets expressed in a different way. And, and it's harder for me to have empathy. Say, well, you're not sad. You're not crying. Yeah. You know, this, this can sad happen for a lot, of, a lot of wives. Look at their husbands saying, you're not, you don't look sad. You're not yeah. crying. And, yeah. and he's actually like, well, I actually feel a lot of sadness and I want you to, to, to help me through it. But I'm just not a crier. Oh, that's so interesting. And I guess this has to be discovered together. Like this right. is us creating the meaning together. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. Because that's really why we would want each other. That's right. I mean, yeah. there's other reasons, but this is – Long term, the big one. This yeah, is the big this, one. This is that emotional connection that most people are striving for in their mm. relationships. Man, why are we not teaching this when they're younger? Well, there's a whole another can of worms there <laughs> about relationship education in our schools, and, and and we don't. We kind of just hope that at some point, you know, you get your academic education, yeah. and then in between the halls and at recess, you're learning the life social skills, and hopefully that's happening. Right. But how many times are there fights on the out on the soccer field, and the teacher comes in, and we never right teach anything yeah yeah just separate them a little bit yeah you got two steaming suppressed little boys just don't want you to hurt each other (laughs) yeah as long as no as long as there's not a lawsuit we're all fine well this is what keeps the therapy world going that's eventually keeps all the therapists in in their big houses on the hill interesting we'll take a break Uh, more with dr brian willoughby as we talk about how emotion suppression hurts you stick with us this is the matt townsend show we'll be back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us, Dr. Brian Willoughby from uh, Brigham Young University. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life here. And today is talking to us about uh, three ways emotional suppression hurts you. First, it decreases intimacy. It's harder to be authentic, the real you. Mm-hmm. So then you're creating a fake you. And yes. then you got to sustain. Like, like I, I did that a little bit when we were first married. I went, I did everything my wife wanted to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Let's go play tennis. Let's go swim. Yeah. And, and then, eventually you get to a point where you're like, I don't want to swim anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's that like you said, is it, it creates this fake persona that is is fine for the first little bit, but eventually it starts to wear on you. Yeah. It starts to, to say, Oh, I really wish 
And, and this is actually problematic because what this can lead to, here's our fancy academic word of the yeah. day, is what's called alternative seeking, which is where you start to think to yourself, man, I, w- I wonder if that, that girl down the hall yeah. I could be open with or this person that I'm, I'm, I, I work with or this friend, I can be way more open with them so than my partner. you start shopping almost. You start like, kind of shopping, at least in your head yeah, at first. Yeah, but yeah. That's, that's kind of the first danger sign is when you start to kind of think about what all these alternatives would be hmm. like. And really is, is the most important time to get this suppression pattern right, is it early in the marriage? I guess it's newlywed stage. You know, I, I actually tell people it's even earlier than that. Is it and it's dating? Really hard. Is it really? It's dating. Yeah. Because cause what I tell people, and, and this is so hard because it's like, well, I'm dating. I, I, I need to put my best foot forward. I yeah. want that person to like it's me. Counterintuitive. I don't wanna, yeah, it's counterintuitive. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. But what I tell them is, especially if you're dating to marriage, to marry, if that's your plan, like I'm trying to find my spouse, I say, what better way to see what that person's going to be like as a spouse than to start to be really open be you. with them? You yeah. know, and again, not this isn't first to third date material, yeah, right. um, but you know, once you commit, once you've been together for 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 a couple months is to start to, to express those emotions and be open and to see just, okay, what are we like as a relationship when this happens? But even more importantly, when we're dating, see what happens with you. When, yeah. when I express and I'm open and vulnerable with you, how do you treat that? Do you retreat? Do you, do you connect with me? Yeah, do you disconnect do you from dis- me? Yeah. That's scary. But uh, you can see, so I guess part of the key is you need to have, you need to do some work before, right? You need to recognize your own feelings. You need to know you. Right. Yeah. You've, you've got to do that self-work first. Like I said, is recognize when you and – and the nice thing about emotion is we all experience them almost every day. Yeah, right. right? We don't have to be in a relationship to practice right. this. It's just at work, at school, with my friends, with my family. I have, I have all these opportunities to figure out what emotion does to me. Do you um, – I guess can you – you can have a lot of shame too, right? So it, not being able to express this makes you have a lot of shame. Yeah. So then then it seems worse than it is. You might find out your partner like blows it off like, yeah, so? Yeah. I mean, I had that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, and, then, and, then, and then then you get into a little bit different area about just having good communication um, outside of the emotional piece and saying, hey, you know, I, I didn't feel like you really reciprocated yeah. well. I kind of felt like you didn't care. I would have wanted then, this more. Yeah, then you got to go into those good communication where you're you're not really necessarily being open about emotion anymore, mm-hmm. but just being open about the relationship and what you need. Do you sense that – I mean I could see us getting to a point where – you know, we're already married. Mm-hmm. I mean I of course I care about you, but we don't have to keep talking about all this. Right. Yeah. And, but you do. You I mean, do. You do. Yeah. And, well, I guess it depends. Depends on what kind of marriage you want. Right. If you want the That's true. I've been married for 50, 60 years and we're like the awesome couple Best that our friends. grandkids right. want to be like. Right. Yes. You need to keep working because a relationship is never done. You know, you don't get married and then that's it. And then mm-hmm. it's just downhill from there. Although a lot of people think that's what marriage is like is is a healthy marriage and a stable marriage is one that they're always trying to improve each other. Yeah. I'm always trying to work in this relationship, get yeah. better, get better and not stabilize and, and, and not stagnate the relationship. So if you had tension and fights or, or disagreements, that's not the problem. The problem is kind of how quickly you can get together, express openly yeah. and and hear each other. Yeah. And, and taking that long term view of relationship on this issue is important, too, because it also helps you understand that this isn't something you're going to figure out in the first month right. or three months or 10 years of marriage, is that this is a slow progression of, of getting better slowly over time, understanding each other slowly mm-hmm. over time. Because – and this always blew my mind. Uh, what a lot of marriage is about is predictability. Mm-hmm. So if we could get predictably good at this, it yeah. seems boring. Yeah. But we want – 
that one of your rules is no trans or uh, you know, be transparent. Yes, because you need it's got to be safe. Like we're always predictable yeah. to each other. Yeah, there's there's another important aspect of healthy marriages that actually gets into the the symbolism of marriage mm-hmm. and symbolism of relationships. The healthy relationships they create what's called shared meaning with each other. And what yeah. that means is you start to get each other, like you said. Yeah, is I start to understand what that hand on your head means, or when you raise your eyebrow a certain way, I understand the symbolism. And that that takes time to do that. But healthy relationships will develop that with each other where I can, in, in tie to the emotional piece, I'll start to understand when certain tones, certain body postures, nonverbal cues, yeah. certain topics, I will understand what the deeper meaning is going to be for you. And that will help improve the relationship. That's but power. I have to be open to do that. You, yeah. You have to be willing to show your signs, yeah, right? That's the authentic And talk about part. it. Yeah. Oh, man. Brian, you make it sound so hard and easy. It's easy and hard. Yeah. Paradoxical. It's and easy, worth it. It's easy in the long term. It's yeah. hard in the moment, but but it takes just you know little steps and, and really being willing to put the effort in. That's the That's big it. piece. That's it. What I tell people is, is good relationships are about effort and commitment. The rest will come as long as you have those two. Yeah, because you have, you have forever to figure it out. Right. We just have to be at it mm-hmm. working hard early. Yeah. Huh. Dr. Brian Willoughby is his name. Go check out his website, drbrianwilloughby.com, drbrianwilloughby.com. Um, he's got to have a book out. What's the name of the book? Do you know yet? It's called The Marriage Paradox. Oh, I love the word paradox. I love the whole concept. Okay, Brian, we'll have you back every two weeks. He's here to fix our marriages and our brains. Stick with us. We'll take a break, come back, visit a couple that seems to have a really good relationship down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. It's that time to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How you guys doing? Do you guys watch any basketball this weekend? Yeah, in yeah, fact, I basketball. did in person. Spencer went. You to, did uh, Salt Lake. Oh, did you go to Salt Lake? You paid the you paid the big money to go to what game did you see? Oh, so Gonzaga. I saw Saturday's games in the uh, second round: Gonzaga, Northwestern, and St. Mary's, Arizona. Entertaining basketball. Those are that's good ball. Yeah. Good ball. It was good. I was hanging out with Big Kent, my dad. Really? Just you and Kent hanging out, uh, yeah, having nachos? Big Kent. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> What'd you talk about? Oh, we talked about all sorts talk of stuff. Talk about good. Did, yeah. did, uh, did Kent lay down any you know, words of wisdom, any pearls that we could share? Always. Like, Always, Matthew. Like he, something like... Uh, he's an unknown hero. He's a man of wisdom. He's an, he's an unknown hero to me in a lot of ways. He's a, he's a guy that is behind the curtain, behind the scenes, but... Is he a wizard? Has impacted a lot of people for good, including myself. He's also the guy that uh, was there to get you out of jail. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't get to enjoy things like Saturday night at the NCAA tournament very often. So I was... You hooked him up. I was excited to be able to, to hang out with him. That is way cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you were there all day? Uh, so the games were, went from like three until almost Saturday nine. there were two games. Yeah. Thursday there were four. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest upset, you think, Villanova? The biggest upset. Go, Jerem. South Carolina over Duke, I thought was That was huge. Big. Even though even though it was in South Carolina? Wisconsin yeah. Wisconsin over Villanova was a big one. Um but Wisconsin is built for the tournament. They're perfect. I mean they played in the national title game two years ago. That's they're, true. They're That's program. true. 
Man. Yeah, the one that shot me UT was Arlington like th- over BYU. Was three seed Florida State losing by like twenty five to an eleven seed. That was Xavier. Yeah, Xavier. But the that Big was, East, the, the Big East can ball, man. Like Big East. Everybody ball. said the everybody said the ACC could ball too, right? Uh, ask Florida State, Louisville, yeah. and Duke about that. It's just a one game, you know, series, if you will. So a lot can happen. Like BYU can lose to Utah Valley. They can also beat Gonzaga. It, it's that's the fun part of. The tournament, that's right? why they call it March Madness. Yeah. That's why. That's why it's, there's madness there. Every year, every <laughs> year, this tournament is becoming a second round major upset tournament, though. Yeah, like the crazy fifteen over two, fourteen over three is not happening as often as it used to. But the eights over ones and sevens over twos and six over three, like that, that's happening more and more often because totally there's less happening. and less of a distinction between like the elite teams. And the rest, like now, it's the parody is good. Did um, did you guys know what day it is today? It is Monday, March twentieth. Matt, welcome, welcome to reality. No, it's it's won't you be my neighbor day? Oh, Fred, Fred Rogers. Rogers, he's here. He's not here. He, but Jerem's got his he's cardigan upstairs. Go really? grab your cardigan, won't cardigan, dude. To be my neighbor. <laughs> do you guys have any good memories? Fond memories of Fred? I do. Trolley was my favorite man. Trolley was great. Trolley, I liked it when he'd like take Trolley off and just cuddle with him, <laughs> take him off the tracks it's and just hold him. Weird I just thought it was interesting. I, that helped spark my fascination with trains when I was a little kid. Really? You know, just a little trolley car going through the tunnels and stuff. Yeah, I've always thought that was pretty Did cool. Did you ever want to build a train set that could like go around your room and yes, into the wall? And... 100%. Did it ever happen? Did Dad let you do that? Well, I got to build train sets, but nothing, you nothing know. that extravagant. No, I, look, we were millionaires growing up, okay? Dad held you back. Thousandaires. <laughs> you were thousands, of, tens of thousandaires. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, Fred's my hero. Fred Rogers is your hero? Yeah. Now every day, I really do this. I have two jackets, BYU jackets, that I wear when I get here because I'm always freezing. Mm-hmm. And so I wear a little jacket like a cardigan. And then every once in a while, I'll sing a song, take my shoes off, throw up my, my tennis shoes, put those on. When I go for a walk, and I just do that every day. Little Fred moment. Seems like you've got life figured out. <laughs> I do. And they, I love a fishbowl, but they're telling me I can't have one here because I'm about to hook up some fish in my office. <laughs> yeah, and no, I, no pets. I figure hey, we all Off the live. air, we'll tell you about an uh, animal situation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll have to. Yeah, remind us. We'll, we'll ask you about that tomorrow. Off the air. What's oh. on the show? Off the air, yeah. What's on the show tomorrow or today, guys? You got your show in just tomorrow. about eight minutes. show tomorrow, Jerry. Let's see. Adrian could be married today, Matt. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about BYU's uh, football practice down in St. George. Jason Shepard went down there. He's got uh, a report will air on that. Uh, 5,000 fans estimated it. There. Wow. And spring break for the Cougars. They had a heck of a time. We're going to talk about that and kind of the success that it was, what it means for BYU football maybe moving forward. We'll talk to David Nixon as well, BYU football analyst. It's Pro Day coming up Friday. It's the spring scrimmage Saturday when Taysom Hill is expected to be uh, performing at Pro Day. So that'll be the first time we've seen him in a while. Sweet. Who else needs to perform besides Jamal Williams and Harvey Longy to maybe get a free agent? Did you just yawn, Matt? No, I said sweet. It, it was like, like, it's sweet. like, are we boring yum, you? Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> he has been, he has been here for since the early morning. Yeah, yeah. Since, for like the last five hours. Some of us, that some of us choice. come really early and then we just leave, even though we stay here. All good, man. I'm just giving you enough time <laughs> because that, that's that what we like do. You know. That's what brothers do. Brothers take care of brothers. We're gonna talk about Jimmer Fredette too. Is hey, I'm is hearing he, news. Yeah. 
yeah, is is there interest from NBA teams with the latest on Jimmer potentially coming back to the NBA? Do you, can you think of a contending team that needs a little three-pointer? We'll tell you what we think mm, coming up. This is exciting. Yeah, Matt. Why push the envelope right now? I don't know. I'm just in such a hurry to know so I can get to nap time. And Sean Olmstead. Speaking of, no, I'm just playing. Sean Olmstead, the men's volleyball coach, they had a huge weekend, uh, swept Hawaii in back-to-back matches, who Ooh. came in with a 15-match winning streak. BYU took care of business. They That's now so much for that. The intellectuals of Princeton tomorrow, and then Long Beach State, the number one team in the country, coming Ooh. up this weekend. Wow. So ranked number three. It's, get, it's the second-to-last regular season uh, week. Should the Cougars be ranked number two after what they did to Hawaii? Yes. More impressive than what Ohio State did. Hmm. Ohio State almost lost again. So it's kind of Ohio State, Long Beach State, BYU. Those okay. are your top three teams. Hey-o. Hey-o. Good show. Nothing to yawn through, folks. Okay, it sounds like an awesome one. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I was not yeah. yawning, just so you know. I was just, I don't know what I was doing. Um, have a great one. Knock them dead. Remember who you are, and uh, thanks for being on the show with us. Again, folks, that show is in five minutes. Five minutes. You get to partake of BYU Sports Nation. What more do you want? Hey, an Alaska man charged with front end loader, uh, charged with using his front end loader to steal an ATM. There's some audio from the scene. An Anchorage, Alaska man has been charged with a snatch and grab theft uh, with a twist. This time he used heavy equipment to do the grabbing. Federal prosecutors have charged Adrian Turnbow, who's 25 years old, with bank larceny in an attempted theft of an ATM in, with a front loader. The FBI is investigating three other Anchorage, Anchorage ATM thefts with heavy equipment. I'm going to bet they're uh, somehow all connected. I mean, it seems like he'd be the easiest guy to catch because he's the guy driving a front loader around. So is the sentence more severe uh, the heavier the objects get that you used to? Yeah, yeah. it used to be by how much money you stole, but now it should, don't you think it should be by pound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like petty larceny, you know, should be whatever, but... This is heavy larceny. Heavy larceny. Yeah. That's so... That's so true. A uh, security guard called the Anchorage police early Monday to report a front-end loader trying to take an ATM from the east side of a bank. And how do you turn that beeper off anyway when they're backing up? Beep, I know. Beep. You know, you'd hear, you'd hear it. Come on. These people. Um, also, a woman resigned to being plump learns she has a 140-pound tumor. Mary Clancy said she was resigned to just, you know, being a plump old lady. Over 15 years, she kept getting bigger and bigger despite, despite dieting. But with her health deteriorating, her son persuaded her to go to the hospital. And what the doctors found astounded them. They found a cyst in one of her ovaries that had grown to a 140-pound tumor. You're not just plump, Mary. Tumor. You got a tumor. Doctors removed the cancerous stage one mass in five-hour operation. And uh, she, when she went in, she weighed 365 pounds. After five hours of surgery, she lost 180 pounds of tumor and tissue, about half her body weight. You'd think your body would go into shock losing that much weight. Anyway, she's just over five feet tall and 71 years old. So how cool is that? You thought you were just overweight and they find the tumor. I mean, the cancer scare, that's scary. That's a lot of weight. Congratulations, Mary. Um, Super cool. And as you know, you know, on the show, we like to not just bring you news about Mr. Rogers every once in a while. We also like to uh, 
bring you a hero story. Our hero is a doctor that saves her own son's life after he collapses on the soccer field. Dr. Gina Agredano had one uh, had just one thought as she fought to save her son's life after he collapsed on the field. He went into cardiac arrest. He's not going to die today. I wasn't ready to lose him, Agredano, a family practice physician told to, today, um, adding that I think as a mother, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Her son, Jose, was playing in a junior varsity game when the ball hit him in the chest and he fell to the ground. I was just really dizzy and everything was blurry, he said. I tried to keep my balance, but I went down on one knee and then I collapsed. Agredano hadn't seen the play um, and thought Jose may be suffering a concussion. She and her husband ran to his side as he lay off the field and um, as he laid on the field. And the family later learned that Jose had suffered commotio cortis, a cardiac arrest caused by a blunt impact to the chest. Jose was breathing but unresponsive. Agredano told police uh, to call 911, and when the reports and the sports trainer asked what she needed, she requested oxygen as her son's breathing had become labored and an AED, an automated external defibrillator. She got busy. The timing of the treatment was crucial for Jose's survival. Uh, in this condition, CPR is not enough. Agredano said the heart has to be shocked back to its regular rhythm. Jose was taken to the hospital um, and then Lucille Packard's, at Lucille Packard's Children's Hospital in Stanford. Cool story. Saved his life. Saved her son's life. She took me into this world, and she didn't want me to leave yet, the boy said. Hero of the day. Just a mom jumping in, doing all she can to protect her child. Folks, you all have somebody you can be a hero for and uh, to. So let's uh, do what we can. Pick up our game. Be the best we can be. When we pick up our game and, and we're doing our best, we give everyone else the chance to do the same. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow to help you be the good in the world. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.